Hannibal Lecter gets his first prequel, Emilio Estevez herds some ducks, and Anna Kendrick launches a bona fide franchise. Put that coffee down. Coffee is for 302010 listeners. Ladies and gents, welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you on a rip-roaring journey across three whole decades of pop culture minutia, movies, TV, music, video games, and more. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and if you want to go to hell, better take a trip to the Sodom and Gomorrah on the Mississippi. <laughs> and I'm J.R. Rawls, and always tell the truth, George. It's the easiest thing to remember. Ooh! Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> uh, I, this is a very exciting episode. I've got to thank our patrons right off the bat. Patreon.com slash LaserTime. What are we putting up? Last Unicorn? Last Unicorn will be up this week. Hopefully the sick of Star Wars. I'm in the middle of sort of dodging a hurricane. It's been a absolutely weird week. Heart goes out to people dealing with massive weather right now because I thought that was going to be me up until 12 hours ago before this recording that we were going to have to cram this all in before I was going to be without power for a week. But it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. Let's start 30, 2010, where we look back 30, 20, and 10 years ago. This week we're recording from uh, September 30th through October 6th in 1992, 2002, and 2012, and a bunch of really fun stuff happens here. Dude. Everything is notable, either because it was popular, because it's really, really good, or because you had to do a book report on it. Because you had to do a book (laughs) report on it, or because it's the worst fucking movie I think I've seen in decades. Whoa, okay. Wow. That I wasn't prepared for. Let's see if she can pull it off. Actively angry at a film. Oh, I'm at. And, And one of my favorite television channels launches and we got three different looks of its launch anniversary and just ultimately like a complete change into what it had it been intended to be the second i saw that i'm like okay we got to issue a length warning yeah 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 the titanic level i'm gonna try and keep it short but it's it also is the debut of one of my favorite unsung shows ever on that channel that nobody talks about and is well more than deserving of a mention uh so glad to be here with you guys this week um this has been a great week to research it really has let's start as we always do in 1992 september 30th through august uh, through october 6th we're heading into october and first in the news I feel like, depending on how young you are, you're sick of hearing about this guy. Ross Perot re-enters the U.S. presidential race. Looks like he's got a shot. It's spooky season, and he (laughs) rises. You have no idea what it was like to live through this, though, people. fucking nuts, You're under 30, and he's just this old name. You have no clue. But to have this guy become a credible third-party candidate, even, even with the other two, drop out and it was like wow that was weird and then come back can i finish there's a month left i can do this if you want to know what it's like to be a billionaire i think mike bloomberg showed us that like i'm just gonna run as the opposite party i've always been because i know i can win this super scary ross perot character who's just like i <laughs> The whim came back. I'm going to be president again. (laughs) Broombird is the absolute opposite of Ross Perot. Because he used, I think, 
300 million of his own money to win one electoral vote from Guam like <laughs> that's it in the primary yeah. not even in the general election just a primary electoral vote from Guam I think that's it mm-hmm. going off memory here but yeah he was just not popular he went I think I can buy votes with money and it turns out no you actually cannot do that Ross Perot though struck a chord in 1992 he was a genuine grassroots popular guy with large numbers of people just swelling out and then he quit he just went i'm done and then he came back with this story like i didn't want the republicans and democrats to ruin my daughter's wedding what (laughs) i'm not making this up i am not making this up yeah well look forward to some more great dana carvey sketches where david spade in the wide shot plays ross perot and somehow Dana Carvey plays two presidential candidates at the same time. And then we got another bit of news. The Rome General Peace Accords ends a 16-year civil war in Mozambique. Yay! Yeah. Uh, so a million people had died in the Mozambique Civil War. Since then, the uh, peace accord has kind of sort of held. There's been tension, uh. but nothing like a million dead. So that's something. Totally. Yay. Totally. Yeah, it was. It was a uh, war fought between Mozambique's ruling Marxist front and an anti-communist insurgency force. And I should have looked more into this. The first overturn of a George H.W. Bush veto. What is this, a literal cable bill? Yeah, yeah, a literal cable bill. Cable television, it was to set minimum customer service standards, permit broadcasters to seek compensation from cable operators. I mean, really boring stuff. And it's like, wow, that's, that's the thing that got overturned, your veto for the first time? Okay. That is true. Mm-hmm. That means a lot of good lobbyists out there, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and then let's just get into the movies because the movies here, it's just this stark reminder of the movies we don't get anymore. Nope. Mm-hmm. And they're all pretty entertaining in their own right. Last the Mo- And again, Last of the Mohicans, which won my award for the most movie-ass movie we've ever talked about. It, it, like just, it's both classic and has modern sensibilities. Really fun. It's still number one at the box office. In a movie I meant to track down and did not get to see. Huge cast, Alexis Arquette, Moira Harris, Mark Boone Jr., Joe Morton, Richard Real, uh, John Terry, Noble Willingham, Cheryl Finn, uh, Casey Saito, how come I can never pronounce his name? I love Samasco. Samasco from Young Guns and Three O'Clock High, Ray Walston, and then Gary Sinise and John Malkovich in Of Mice and Men. We got It's a good week for Chicago theater guys. Uh, Gary <laughs> directing. Weirdly, for a book that like every goddamn student has to read, there hadn't really been a movie of Of Mice and Men since like 39. Right. If, if, the, I, if I po- it, can point out, there's a, there is a, shit a lost laser time episode about looney tunes references you don't understand and <laughs> one of the best slash heartbreaking ones is the which way did he go george which way did he go it's like the first insensitive mentally challenged reference that we have it is very specifically for 20 years lon cheney jr's performance as george and of mice and men was how the looney tunes expressed a character was slow Mm. Because for for yeah. like 20, 30 yeah. years, which way did he go, George? They're doing an, a Mice and Men impression, and somehow John Malkovich has to like do something different, and boy, does he. Yeah. yeah. It, I just, it's, it nailed it. I mean, there's so, I, I feel kind of bad for English teachers on this one because usually you can tell if someone didn't read the book, they watched the movie be, based on the differences, mm-hmm. and like there kind of aren't many. Mm. Curly's wife. Yeah. Mm. Curly's wife is far more sympathetic in the book there's a scene when she threatens to have crooks lynched okay Mm. so that's that's something uh yeah but 
yeah, John Malkovich, he plays uh, yeah, a guy who's kind of slow, and Gary Sinise is his buddy. It's the Depression. They're looking for work. They get a job at this farm, and there's, you know, tensions all around. Yeah. I. So, listeners, in the days before streaming, this was released at the exact wrong time, because mm -hmm. here it is. It's released in October. Okay. We got assigned to read this in January. So it was <laughs> out of theaters and not yet on home video. Oh. And all of us were like, oh my gosh, we could have just watched the movie. But no, no, we, 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 we had to read a classic of American literature. It's 1992. And we're all big Gary Sinise fans. We love the stage. Because <laughs> yeah. Gary Sinise had been in one movie at this point. He was got his debut in that movie I fell in love with a few months ago, um, A Midnight Clear. So this is a huge yeah. break for him. But yeah. this is this is the start of his rise. He is going to be in. He's Forrest the director. In what the hell? Yeah, yeah, he directed it. What the hell? Mm -hmm. And yeah. yeah, and he and Malkovich have been theater buddies going way the hell back at you know Steppenwolf Theater and stuff. So yeah, Malkovich is in a really good spot in his career too. So it's like all right, yeah, gets it made, low budget, it's fine, does okay. Everyone's real good in it. Yeah. Ooh, solid adaptation. Yeah, I meant to I meant to retrack it down. I know I've seen it. It's just been a while, and I couldn't figure out where it was streaming. Ugh, it's now owned by Amazon, if that helps you out. Speaking of plays gone big theatrical, oh boy. Yes. This Speaking is... of, of a movie that is so Chicago, most <laughs> critics think it takes place in Chicago, and there is no indication that yeah. it does, and it was filmed in New York. Yep. <laughs> but all the other fellas' movies take place in Chicago, so it's a good guess. An insane cast in... I. I know Diana talked about this about another movie, but I love this movie. But if you lead with loving this movie, I question whether I like you or not, because this mm -hmm. movie is liked by terrible people. But the cast, unbelievable. Alec Baldwin, Jonathan Price, Kevin Spacey, Alan Arkin, Ed Harris, Jack Lemmon, and Al Pacino, and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. This was no ordinary contest. First prize is a Cadillac Eldorado. Third prize is your fire. So they did what they had to do. Somebody uh, to do something to them. To win. Oh, you need a little boost. I'll go out and rob everybody blind and go to Argentina. So be it. You robbed the office. Oh, sure. I robbed the office. Oh, sure. How can you talk to me that way? Are you talking to me? From the Pulitzer Prize winner, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. This is how we keep score. Baby. Rated R. Yeah, this, this fucking movie is infinitely watchable to me i don't think it gets i'm not i don't have cable if it, but if it was on cable i'll watch every single moment of it it is a play yeah, ass yeah, movie. movie i could i could pick it up anywhere it doesn't yes. matter to me and more than it's anything i i because i remember for a long time i didn't think it was a household name until alec baldwin hosted snl for like the 18th <laughs> time and did the santa's workshop version of his character in this film which is the only character exclusively made for the film it's he's not in the play I was this close to editing the audio from that Santa's workshop skit into the speech yeah. and then just posting it <laughs> so that you would start playing no. the, uh, the actual one. Your good father, elf you, go home and play with your kids. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's... I I mean, Alec Baldwin is definitely the thing that everyone remembers out of this movie because it's like mm -hmm. the opening scene. He absolutely dominates at a point where we didn't realize oh alec baldwin's a serious actor really well he he was pretty serious and actor at this point a leading he wasn't doing comedy he's a point. leading man mm -hmm. he's a leading man he's done some comedy but he's definitely he's been jack ryan mm -hmm. he's already been jack ryan but to see it's like oh oh he is this good yeah. at this oh shit and it's every line is so goddamn memorable in yep. that whole scene and it sets up 
so much that it's shocking to find out it's not originally from the play. Like, no, you get you get the mood immediately. This I is mean, fucking cutthroat. But okay, have either of you ever worked sales? A little for bit, like two days. I yeah. mean, yeah, like <laughs> okay. not much, but yeah. So I have, and this scene has a part in any sales community. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, have a bad day. And start getting coffee and see if the guys don't yell at you. Hey, coffee is for closers. Wow. It is reference all the goddamn time. Uh, the speech is brutal, rude, borderline sociopathic, and an accurate and honest portrayal of what the world expects from you in sales. In sales. Okay. The, the most cutthroat it's- capitalistic job you can have yep. where your your take-home pay is directly based on your performance. Tough yeah, work. The, the line where Alec Baldwin says, who do you want to be? Do you want to be a former salesman sitting in a bar listed, lifting up your drink? Ah, sales. It's a fucking tough job. Fuck yeah, it is. Sales mm-hmm. is a incredibly tough job. And it takes a certain mindset. Brass balls. And, you know, brass balls. <laughs> brass and balls. I got to say, there's a lot of ways to human out there. So, you know, the mindset that you need in sales is shown in this film to a certain degree while also being deeply flawed. This, mm-hmm. as a sales motivation technique, has a number of problems. Third place is your five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, just the, you see this watch. This watch costs more than your car. Yeah, like that doesn't motivate me. That makes me mad he's at you. From from the ad, from the I love from the get go. <laughs> he's an asshole already. He's like, is everybody here? No, not yet. Fuck it, I'm going. I'm yeah. going. <laughs> but Diana, he's not yeah. trying to motivate you because you mm-hmm. wouldn't be a good salesperson. No, I'm he's terrible. He's trying to motivate the people who would be fuck you. I'm going to sell a thing just so that I can get a watch like that. Okay. I worked in sales for a number of years. There is a huge, huge psychological component to it. Let me just throw this out there. End of the month bonus. Okay. Mm. You sell more, you get more. When that end of the month comes and people are not at their quota, suddenly they start selling more. Mm -hmm. Why don't they just do that all the time? Psychology. Because they mm-hmm. don't have the psychological motivation. The incentive. Like, I can do this tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I'm tired. I want to go home today. And that's that's why I don't trust myself to ever be in this type of business. Because, man, like, when I had an office job, it's nice. You can phone it in sometimes. But, man, not if your your take-home is on the line. Nope. Uh, no. Uh, you, uh, there are numerous times in sales where you will have a $2,000 <laughs> lunch. You go out to have lunch, and you miss a sale. And that would have given you $2,000. Congratulations. You had a $2,000 lunch. Hope that burger was tasty. That's what I think is ultimately redeeming about this movie. It is very manly men, but it is also very manly, desperate men. And more than that, there's not that many people. It is a very play. I think they, they gave a woman a line or two in the restaurant. But other than that, <laughs> six people talk. Oh, I can actually bring this around. Remember last week I said uh, Ryan Johnson liked a tweet of mine? Yeah. It was about this movie. Was it really? I about that. Oh, nice. it, was, it was when there was someone went through The Last Jedi and edited all the women out. And I said, I, I tweeted that I was going to re-edit Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, the way it deserved to be seen with no men in it whatsoever. <laughs> it is now a two-second establishing shot of a Chinese restaurant. Your table, sir. And Nice. <laughs> awesome. So the thing, the thing I want to say about this, in terms of like these these amazing actors as actors. Al Pacino, kind of playing the least Al Pacino character ever. A calm and confident, <laughs> low-key, soft-spoken guy. The Ricky... I love... Learn the word Ricky Roma, because I tend to use it in conversation if I'm doing something well. I am the Ricky Roma 
of this Mario Party level right now. And, and that it's a it's a tough role because he's talked up a lot before he appears. Yes. So your expectations are high. It's like he's the best salesman here, and then he comes in and he's just very confident, but not showy. Yes. Just yeah. very sure of himself. But then when he gets pressed, you see him trying to fast talk his way out of things, mm -hmm. and like, mm -hmm. oh, this isn't going great. But it, it seems like I feel like normally you would cast him as several other characters in this and sorry don't like don't like uh exalting kevin spacey but he is an unknown and mm -hmm. he is in a he is very good in this role overseeing no, he nails it he it's... nailed okay most sales most places dominated by salesmen everyone up the chain of command is a former salesman if you are not like Kevin Spacey's character, the salesmen can smell that mm -hmm. and they will pounce on you like a shark. And they do not respect Kevin Spacey because he's yeah. just the office manager. Yeah. They, they say, you've never uh, been on a set. You yeah, don't know what you're talking in your about. Life. You don't know what the fuck you're doing. <laughs> because he hasn't lived through the trenches like they have and they don't respect him. And that is 100% true. That is yep. This so, is, this captures a vibe. Not all sales is like this, but sometimes it can be, and it does a stellar job. Like, like, you're, like you were saying about like the end of the month, this is the day of desperation come early mm -hmm. on a yep. rainy day, on a hard night, rainy night. And, and just yeah. in terms Where of they're, they're selling some real real estate opportunities. Time, I'm not sure they're time shares or their condo land that's going to be developed yeah. someday. Right. My take and I, the play doesn't or movie doesn't answer this one way or another is that this is utterly worthless real estate. Yeah. Yes. That's my guess. Yes. That's because, my feeling. Yeah. because my grandfather, unbelievably lower middle class and he got sold some shitty land in like the sixties or seventies because this was such a huge business. Oh, right. eventually this land's good. People are going to need this land. Mm -hmm. You're going to love this land. It's a good investment. Yeah. And we don't it's a really cliche, see selling land in Florida. Yeah, yeah. We don't really, it was North Carolina, but it, we, but he's in Florida. Yeah. But the, it's kind of an investment we don't really see anymore. You need giant blocks of land to sell to a corporation. So in terms of the performances, though, Alan Arkin, one of my favorite actors, I hope he's okay. His character is unbelievably great. This may be the best Ed Harris role I have ever seen. Oof. What a fucking asshole. It's the manliest role I've ever seen him do. I love this role for Ed Harris. Diana, you're going to hate a, me for this. He's such a gonna... bully, mm -hmm. and he's so good at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah? All right, what am I going to hate you All for? Right. This is Jack Lemmon's most famous role. Yes. Well, this is, this is he's the closest thing for, we Sorry, go ahead. For a certain for generation. who are alive. Okay, fair. Well, he's he is. Well, he, the Simpsons has something to do with that. Yes, he is not yes. only he is not only the closest thing we have to a main character in this movie, the most and and the most relatable character in this movie. I do think he gives the best performance of an utterly old. I don't know if I can do this, but I have no other choice. Completely desperate man in his character. It is the basis for Gill on the Simpsons. Yes. The guy who is desperate in every sales job and doing pathetically. It's it's the, his the, this character from Glenary Glenn Ross has lived on thirty extra years because of the Simpsons. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and again, that's another amazingly true to life thing. There mm -hmm. are salesmen out there who have sold great for twenty years, and one day, whatever that flick is of their switch, it gets flicked, 
And suddenly they're, they're not doing it anymore. It is a odd phenomenon, but it absolutely well, I think, happens. I think you see it in the movie. Everybody else is sort of like an aggressive person appealing to someone's greed. Whereas Sheldon is like, ah, it's great to see you having a good evening. I'm Shell. I only want the best for you. He's playing this cordial, nice person from a previous generation. And that's not really working to sell shitty real estate these days. Mm-hmm. And he's a desperate, desperate man. And this, this movie is unbelievably great. Again, if it's your friend's favorite movie, he's got problems. I wouldn't want to hang out with him. And Yeah. He's like, my favorite movies are Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and Boiler Room. Yeah. <laughs> run away. Run away. Run, run away. Run away. He's trying to sell you something. <laughs> and my but, wife but I'm sure like to know. Yeah. Well, you see, that's the thing is I remember I had a, a friend of mine whose wife was very, she only liked nice movies. She's mm-hmm. a very sensitive person. And so when she would go out of town, he would do marathons of movies she didn't want to watch. <laughs> cool ones. And this was number one of like, it's, that. it's just men being mean to each other for, for an hour and a half. She's going to fucking hate it. I'm like, yes, I, she I, will. She absolutely hates it. Let's watch it twice. Early on in It's Me, Sarah's relationship, she's like, I want to build in my backlog of all these movies. And she asked to see this one. And I remember it was like, huh. Uh, I like yeah yeah I get it if you're it's it's not a fun movie if you're a lady who doesn't like testosterone being fired directly into your eyes they're all a bunch of assholes in a very it's a panoply of kinds of assholes (laughs) I don't have to like your characters I have to want to hear what they say and every character I want to hear what they have to say you know how the at the Oscars they have a 30 second clip of someone saying something to show you why they should win an Oscar for this role yeah, I feel like you could pick a random 30 second yep. clip from this movie and there's a 50% chance that could seem like an Oscar. Clip. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. A very utterly refined dialogue with kind of the best actors in the field cast in every role. I don't know of an example of something else like this. Kevin Spacey would make this type of movie a billion times. I'm in a room yeah. for hours screaming about something, sometimes business. He did that a lot. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. Dude, I'm just, I am shocked to learn that this did not make money because no, I feel like yeah. it's it was a well, bomb. I feel like it's very well entrenched in our culture. Yes. We, we understand the reference. It's, I mean, mostly that all the speech, but plastic. it became yeah. popular over time for the speech. Anyone who was in sales heard the speech. Maybe they rented it, showed mm-hmm. their, that to their loved ones. See, see honey, this is what it's like at my job. Uh, <laughs> and, and it was one of the one of the one of the first scenes I remember being clipped well on YouTube. You could find Alec Baldwin's mm-hmm. sequence like 15 years ago, and I was able to I show people that. like this is why you should watch this movie. That was kind of a new thing. I think we all love this movie. David Mamet would eventually yeah. end up directing his own films, which he did not hear, based on I think the the people who have sway in film did see this movie. Yeah. Critics liked it. I think eventually when it hit pay cable, it got discovered. People yeah. know about this well, fucking movie. Yeah, it's not something you need to see on the big screen. No. I I did see yeah. this on the big screen, wow, but really? it is a perfect size movie. For, it's got everybody in it. I want to yeah. go see it. I was yeah. showing up for Mac Lemon, whatever he did, basically, and the critics loved it. So yeah, I saw it on the big screen. But there is nothing about it that requires a big screen. It's a perfect movie for TV because it's so yeah. dialogue heavy. Yeah. And yeah. And, and uh, Mammoth and does a fantastic this- job. Yeah. I, I really loved his direction. I love how I felt like I was in this cramped, crappy know. office on a rainy, horrible day. It, it's actually it, James. It, yeah, he didn't direct it. Oh, it really? It, it, has, a, it yeah. has a mildly different feel than the movies that he directs because it's, yeah, he's okay. a little, he's, he's yeah. deliberately a little less stagey with a lot of his scenes as a director. Yeah. Uh, but can I bum us out really bad before please. we get to the more fun movies? 
I watched this movie and I'm a little glad Jack Lemon passed before he heard about Kevin Spacey's problems. Huh. Why is that? Because Jack Lemon was basically Kevin Spacey's mentor and was like a father to him, according wow. to both of them. And oh. they are oh, that's right. so powerful in this movie together. That's right. They- Jack Even Lara. before I, I knew they had this like really tight relationship, it was like the, the heartbreak on Jack Lemon's face and Kevin Spacey is just reaming him. It's Spacey so always said that's good. the actor he wanted to be was Jack Lemon. And I don't think our modern film culture has an equivalent to Jack Lemon. No. Um, no as, a movie, as a fucking movie star. Jack Lemon was a movie star like going into his 70s from like his 40s and 30s. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. He's so good. Yeah, he's so good. And he could do, I mean, the only other movie younger people would probably know him as good as like Grumpy Old Men. Yeah. Which is like, he's been doing this for so long, you guys. Oh my God. Okay. And And he's so good at it. Drama and comedy. My God. Moving moving on to what for me completed the early 90s airplane crash porn trilogy of Alive and Fearless. They somehow, like their boxes all look the same to me. And I never wanted to rent them. And this one blew my little kid mind away. Stephen Tobolowsky, uh, Maury Chaikin, Chaikin, Kevin J. O'Connor, Joan Cusack, Chevy Chase, Andy Garcia, Gina Davis, and Dustin Hoffman in Hero. Help us! Behind the story America believes. You saved 54 people. Is the truth nobody knows. Oh, he's a fake. That John Bubber is a fraud. <laughs> and Bernie LaPlante. You can't believe one word you see on TV. Is really the hero. Are you Bernard LaPlante? Mom, it's my father! Dustin Hoffman, Gina Davis, Andy Garcia in a comedy for our times. Hero, directed by Stephen Frears. Stephen Frears, back again. Hero, a movie I thought I loved, didn't hold up for me this time. But it is fascinating because in terms of like every main character being unlikable in some way, yep. yeah, there, it's hard. Yep. It's it, even the, the best of us, the best character, Andy Garcia is a liar. And yeah, it's tough because it's, it's a satire and mm-hmm. God, those are hard to get right. And this kind of became like a notorious failure, even though I think it thought it made just, it might've broken even and stuff but it's like directed by Stephen Frears who's on a roll mm-hmm. you know he did Grifter and Dangerous Liaisons he's one of the most reliable journeyman directors there is written by David Wed Peoples who we just talked about Unforgiven bitches mm-hmm. and it's about uh, this reporters in a plane crash and someone rescues all these people and pulls them out of the burning stuff and they think that it's a homeless vet played by Andy Garcia but it's actually total dirtbag Dustin Hoffman. Un- wonderful unbelievable <laughs> dirtbag. I I want to say this sensitively, but his character in Rain Man is to the rafters in terms of their mental disorder. But a, a nuanced take on someone spectrumy. This guy is a weird. He like is a strangely angry character that doesn't make sense unless like oh all right I don't know maybe that's inappropriate. But because like maybe maybe there's some untreated mental illness yeah he, he seems to lean yeah. towards the wrong thing of everything in every scenario and has almost has no redeeming moment in this film that no. might be about him hero yeah well, i mean he saved all those people but he also like stole all their purses yes stole their purses to sell their credit cards because <laughs> he's a total loser dirtbag deadbeat father can't get his shit together and it's just an asshole like an unrepentant like just skews towards mean, kind of an impossible character. I, I, I think it is fascinating, but it was just something I didn't remember during my kid viewing. So I did really like this movie. So it, ha- it does round up into a fun ending where everybody gets what they need and, and no one is hurt. And yeah, 
and that's it's for a movie that's trying to be a dark satire, which I think some of that is accomplished. Neat. Like no one ends up dead or exposed. Not trying. I'm, try, I'm really trying not to spoil it because yeah. uh, it's. Yeah. yeah, they they do find a way for it's like, okay, everybody comes out on top and gets generally what they need, mm-hmm. even if it's so many lies, what I, what lies I, upon lies upon lies. But, you know, it's one of those like, well, don't we like need heroes? And is it okay to bend the truth if it inspires other people? Do it all the time. That's, that's a tough argument. Yeah. That's a tough argument. We do it all the time. like, sooner or later, those lies come out, even if it's 200 years later and you realize like, oh, I really like Thomas Jefferson, but. You can still like the idea of it. I don't know if that's even possible nowadays. Embrace the embrace the complexity. Mm -hmm. And and um, there's a streaming on Tubi, but this is one of the few times where like, what the fuck is wrong with this stream? I could not get this stream to work over fiber internet, but it's worth a watch. I think it falls short of bona fide classic, something you definitely need to revisit, but I enjoyed revisiting it. His reputation was like pretty bad. Like his reputation was like, oh, what a bomb, what a stinker, and it was like. Dude, this was fine. Yeah. It's a little uneven. Can use some work. But and that's yeah. why I love our show. You know, so yeah. much of pop culture is all about the moment, the how how big's its box office. What did yeah. the score do? You know, we just talked about a huge bomb that is a huge cultural Genuine touchstone. Classic. Coffee is for closers. Mm-hmm. Is something random people can say who have never seen uh, Glenn Glary, Glenn Ross. No, it's but that's an ignored masterpiece. That it's yeah. I love. We get to talk about like that, and we get to bring forth what should be considered once the heat of the moment has passed. Anyway, the movie. I, I'm I, again. I meant to, it was a busy week. I meant to get to just because I really hope Jr. watched because I would really I've like seen, to I've hear seen, your opinion. I did I've watch seen it many times. This is an American who spent time yep. in Japan. Toshizo, Fujiwara, uh, Kosuki. Diana, you can't trip me up with Japanese pronunciation. I took Japanese class. Toshizo, Fujiwara, Kosuke. Torohara, because you Toyo. don't, yeah. Nicholas Kosuke. Well, that's, a, that's an American. Toshi Shioya, uh, Dennis Haysbert, Aya Takanashi, uh, Ken Takakura, and Tom Selick, uh, son, uh, in Mr. Baseball. Here's a racist-ass commercial for it. Oh. We just bought one of your best baseball players. Oh, There's no way I'm going to play in Japan. He's very big. What do you think of our country? I hate this place. Very smart. I need somebody to tell me how to go to the can. And very funny. Do the hokey pokey. I turn yourself around. And if you take him back soon, you make us very happy. Why? I look good. Mr. Baseball. Rated PG-13. Well, how, how does this hold up? Because that's why I was afraid. It holds up recently to... well. I mean, the whole point of Tom Selleck's character is that he's the ugly American. He's not okay. supposed to be this enlightened individual. He's supposed to be someone who plays baseball. That's all he knows. He goes to a foreign country. Everything is different. He can't stand things that are different. And then he learns to embrace the differences. Right. It's actually a fairly sweet film. I was remembering Um, we were rewatching Gung Ho, the movie mm -hmm. where Michael Keaton's plant gets taken over by Japanese. And that is just filled with kind of dated, look at how weird these people are, which... We're kind of beyond that. that. I mean, it it is definitely meant to show Japan as a very strange and different place. But to your 1992 American, Japan was a strange and different place. It has a lot of cultural differences that you just have to kind of get used to. And there's a number of really great scenes where Tom Selleck eventually learns that his baseball manager spoke English. And he's like, well, why didn't you speak English to me? And he says... I am a Japanese manager of a Japanese team (laughs) 
we pay you money. It's your job to learn my language, not my job to mm. your, learn your Yeah. And yeah. Uh, snip, snap, snap. Yeah. And, you know, they make fun of a lot of things. Japanese baseball games are a hoot, by yes. the way. I, I've I, been to one. What I've seen on TV, I, anything with that much coordinated chanting mm -hmm. yep. like a lot of fun. <laughs> Again, like my, my uncle was an international pilot, which may have led to the best life possible, as long as you don't like being with your family all the time, <laughs> which he does. But, you're, you know, he'd be out he'd be across the world every two weeks and made every, he's a huge, huge American baseball fan and made every point to stop in Japan because the fans treatment of baseball is better yeah. and more entertaining than it is 100%. here. Individual 100%. players have, have chants or encouraging chants or mm -hmm. songs about them. Like uh, it's just super fun. The stadiums are so ridiculously clean y'all. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's not, I'm serious. You don't know what it's like to be, Oh, this place is nice. Mm -hmm. And they let <laughs> off all these balloons at the same time. And they do these great chants. And, you know, there's girls coming around with packs of beer on their back and they, they fizz you full of beer. It's, it's sweet. It's, it's a very good experience. This captures some of that. It's also a sports movie at its heart. Right. It's a guy at the end Second of chance. his baseball career. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a certain mindset sports has a expiration date yeah. pretty young, you know, mm -hmm. and that's something every job has an expiration date. Totally. Every job you will eventually get too old for. Sports but is a really sport, early one. <laughs> it's a really early one. So mm -hmm. it makes you confront that in, at a pretty young age. And that's what Tom Selleck's character is going through. He's like, like I may only have one good year left and I'm having to do it in a foreign country with cultures I don't understand. But it's a sweet film. I, I would not call it racist. I would call it sweet. Yeah, mm. that, that was the main thing I was... I didn't want to be bummed out by that aspect just because, um, mm. man, wrestlers have a great tale about going to Japan because they're always bigger, have a hard time eating enough, um, <laughs> finding... Seriously, they, they love yeah. giants uh, in Japanese wrestling. So, like, these seven-foot men trying to find beds where they don't feel like they're in a crib. Uh, <laughs> it, they're all hilarious stories. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and not, you know, not not culturally insensitive. It's just the way it is. Whereas the only thing I was confused by, I don't remember a ton of stories about American pro baseball players going to play. They're not that many. I don't uh, think they did that the that Japanese much. The Japanese love it when the reverse happens. Yes. Like when a Japanese player came to Seattle Washington's team, they were crazy over that. They were like so happy that he was in the American League. But mm -hmm. I assume the reverse happens every now and then, but it wasn't a big thing. I know they make I, a bunch I watched of appearances. And I lived in Japan mm -hmm. uh, with my Japanese girlfriend. She thought it was sweet and fun. So cool. there you go. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was I, I was cautious, but kind of optimistic about this because number one, this is put out by Universal not long after they had been bought by a Japanese company mm -hmm. as tended to happen uh and people got all worried about like oh they're just gonna put out all japanese content and then they make this oh. you know clash of cultures comedy and apparently you know they realized okay we got japanese owners now so let's let's unracist this as much as possible mm -hmm. <laughs> so they like sent the writers over to spend time in japan they got some experts um, yeah they hit the number of beats they but hit then, a number but of I was, beats the thing that worried me was like Every other cultural consultants, I didn't see any Japanese names in there. Mm. It was white people who spent time in Japan, which I guess is the is the the, the viewpoint point of, of the film. And, and also, and also, I'm not saying this is a slam. The Japanese fell in love with baseball as an American sport. These aren't two 
sports that branched out from one another. They did take Western baseball and that it and kept every Western detail of it. That's important to the Japanese love of baseball. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. It's not uh football versus football versus Aussie yeah. rules football. Right. Right. It, versus football. It, yeah. It, it, it's it, exactly the same. Japanese baseball, baseball games can end in a tie. That is something oh, American oh, right. uh, baseball games cannot do. Hey, we all got work in the morning, I, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing is baseball never ends until it dies. So mm. I appreciate it. Thank you. I, I'm kind of convinced that baseball became popular in Japan because the batting stance is so similar to the samurai stance. That's my personal <laughs> that's my personal theory. Uh, Dude, watch a samurai movie or look at like a woodblock print. They they hold the sword so up and high. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it just looks like a baseball bat, man. Not the same follow through though. Now, what I can't believe is we have two sports comedies in one week. Yes. That seems like a bad but, idea. But someone's gonna lose. One one I wasn't aware of, and one was being heavily marketed. You know, on Nickelodeon yeah. and during children's entertainment. Yeah, it's a kids and, movie. And and I yeah, I wish, I wish, I wish. I love this more. I really do. MC Ganey, Brandon Adams, Sean Weiss, Eldon Henson, Joshua Jackson, Joseph Summer, Heidi Kling, Lane Smith, Joss Ackland, and of course Emilio Estevez in The Mighty Ducks. From Walt Disney Pictures, they were a disaster on the ice. That what they needed was a miracle. Anybody could beat these pansies. What they got was Gordon Bombay. You think losing is funny? Well, not at first, but once you get the hang of it. And together, they'll prove that it doesn't matter if you win or lose. How many fingers am I holding up? You wouldn't know that anyway. It's how you play the game. You almost hit me that time. But you're the goalie. It's supposed to hit you. Does that sound stupid to anyone else? The Mighty Ducks rated PG parental guidance suggested. <laughs> they they announced the expansion teams in December 1992. Mm-hmm. One in Miami, which becomes uh, the Florida Panthers, and one in Anaheim that becomes the Mighty Ducks. Yes. That seems like a very tiny window of time. They've obviously, it, Disney has been working with the nhl for it's got to be quite a while before the you know everything going behind the scenes they announced it's not like they did it on a whim and it, it, it does seem like i no one's ever seen brand synergy like this before so, i love defictionalization <laughs> i love it when you have something that is fiction and you make it non-fiction okay. like I, yeah remember the episode of the simpsons where someone crossed tomatoes with tobacco <laughs> Some mad geneticist actually did that, and the plant was completely and utterly poisonous. And I love that someone did that. (laughs) Tobacco. Similarly, I absolutely love that there was a completely fictional sports team Mm -hmm. that became an actual franchise where people like pour their heart and soul into it. And I, I always wore hats, but secretly, closetedly in the early 90s. I don't like sports. I like cartoons. And their logo was the coolest thing I'd ever fucking seen. So I sported many a Mighty Ducks hat because I love the way it looked. And But I think the movies, this was a, this was a, the Mighty Ducks movie was, I guess, successful. Not, yeah. I, I think on home video is where it probably ended up getting seen a yeah, lot. Yeah, absolutely. It, like it did okay in theaters. It's a kid's movie. It's, it's a cheap movie that makes movie, 50 sure. million bucks and it's, it's domestic box office run. It's not nothing yeah. to sneeze at, but it's not like, a bona fide no, runaway franchise. A home box office where every single kid who plays hockey is going to watch this again and again and again on VHS. Whoa, you just blew my mind. That might be part of it. This is the one sport mm. as a little Florida boy could not play. So mm. I, I have knowledge yep. of how it works, but like, yeah, I never played hockey. And to me, it was just, it was a fun, fine movie to watch once. And it just, 
and I, I loved sports movies at the time, still do, and it just well, never made it another ice attention. hockey movie. Uh, at the time, Slapshot was like all there was, and that is not appropriate for kids. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, there are no kids hockey movies. Yeah. So I, I was a wrestler in high school, and there was what? like one wrestler film we could watch, and that that was it. Was that, that was the only Stallone, thing we had. Paradise Alley, No Holds Barred. <laughs> no real wrestling but yeah yeah um uh, so the mighty ducks i gotta assume was the same for ice hockey i never like, thought of okay. it that way yeah a bunch of people playing street and ice hockey which wasn't really a florida thing yeah of course this had to have much more appeal human i and, and being relate to that being able to relate to that sport which i wasn't able to as an adult <laughs> i watched it for the first time mm-hmm. i had no memories of the film wasn't in my wheelhouse growing up didn't play ice hockey didn't particularly like sports movies and it's a good little cheesy right. sports film. I can see why kids would like it. As an adult, there's things I'd roll my eyes out, like, oh, yeah. this guy's a drunk driver, so you're putting him in front of a bunch of strange kids. Uh-huh. Great. <laughs> Unsupervised, too. Great. Yeah. Look, he's named after two kinds of gin. I don't trust Gordon Bombay. <laughs> <laughs> but again, uh, like my memory of this is that it's through Touchstone Pictures. There was something about it that was too rivaled for Disney to put its name on. Yeah, it was. It wasn't until like this started showing up on the Disney Channel that I think I fully acknowledged this as a Disney film. And uh, and the home, I think the the home video presented that like, no, nah, it's a Disney movie. Your kids are gonna love it. But um, yeah, uh, it's very much a Disney movie. And mm-hmm. you know, it's also hockey is a sport that has a barrier to entry. Ooh. You got to learn how to skate, and you got to live yep. somewhere where there's ice. So I could see that appealing to people. It's like, I would love to play hockey. Mm-hmm. It will take me a couple of years to be able to be able to do that. So I'll, I just enjoy this movie. Not Unless you live in Minnesota or Alaska. And, yeah, I mean, it was about what I expected. It's Bad News Bears on Ice, but way less edgy. I think that maybe that was you it know, because we have Bad News Bears. We have The Sandlot, which is like a more realistic. We don't have it yet. I, not yet, but like it's just a more realistic, relatable group of kids. Whereas this is, you know, pretty family friendly. This yeah. never, I never loved it, and I was the perfect age for it. And I've seen all the movies, and I couldn't be bothered to watch the Disney Plus series because of how little I love it. But it's, I love bringing up that before Disney bought Marvel and Star Wars, their their cottage live action industry was ragtag sports movies. Always has been. Every mm. twi- like two of them a year that end up making $100 million and don't get acknowledged at any award shows and they don't get in the top 10, but they're consistent movies for Disney. It kind of starts here with the Mighty Ducks. I mean, sports is a thing. People love sports. They have a a natural narrative to it. Mm -hmm. It's easy to build a a story around. I do love seeing all these things of Emilio Estevez being literally, like, he's confused that people love these movies. He's shocked. He's yeah. like, I just did this for a paycheck. And now I, I meet these 40 year olds who say they love me. And I'm like, ah. Yeah. And he, you can see he sort of is reluctant to return for these movies. And it's always in a more diminished role because he doesn't consider these like, what the fuck are these? I didn't want to do this in the first place. Why do people <laughs> like this? <stuff>? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I kind of love that. What, what other thing can you have kids compete at? Besides in a film? sports? Yeah. Where's the academic decathlon movie? God damn it. Yeah, I mean, it can Please be like forever. Who who gets the highest SAT score? But that's like I mean, an that's that's like the computer wore tennis shoes in a nutshell. They yeah. fucking <laughs> regional trivia contest. 
Yeah, but if you want a competition with a natural antagonist, yeah. you know, if they're yeah. on the other team, they're the antagonist, period. doesn't matter if they're bad guys, but you can easily paint them a bad guy with like one or two shots of them being like, grr, I hate you. And boom, yeah. you've got your antagonist, you've got your conflict, and kids could do that. And yeah, it seems a natural fit. Yep. Indeed. All yeah. right. Indeed. Should we move into TV and then JR and I can just turn off our mics and walk away? All right. For about can, half we, an can, hour. can we do that? Can we do that? We'll do that last among the TV. So. Okay. Oh, okay. Because we have some big ass TV. Yeah, there's so many great okay. smaller TV network. moments. Uh, Diana, I, I know you would have loved this. I just saw this week Joan Rivers had a short lived USA show called Joan Rivers Gossip, Gossip, Gossip. It made Yay. it very hard to Google, but I would love a fucking weekly show of Joan Rivers just being a catty bitch. That would be wonderful, <laughs> and I couldn't find any clips of it. But there's a lot of tra- uh, there's some transcripts, and it definitely lived uh, this as of this week on the USA Network. Then we also have this is probably the biggest one of the biggest TV events of the year in let's say the wrong ways. Sinead O'Connor rips up a picture of the Pope, Pope John Paul II, on SNL to protest Catholic priests not being punished for pedophilia. We have to put an asterisk there. People didn't know that's what she was protesting. No, she did not make that clear that's, at all. So the entire clip the is her singing the song, then holding up a picture of the Pope, ripping it, and saying, fight the real evil. And you hear people not wanting to applaud. Yeah. It was a bold position to take. She's sort of... Done. And it's weird because her first song was a recent single, and this is War by Bob Marley, which is a cappella. And it feels, I mean, it's it feels more like a musical poem than a song. Mm-hmm. I think everyone was confused. And then she rips up a picture of the Pope and doing says a, he's evil. Doing a Bjork thing. And what? I've I've again I've read a, a bunch about this as an SNL nerd. This was outrageously, and I never put that in the context that like she doesn't say, I guess the Mainstream populace is blissfully unaware of the sin, that aspect of the sins of the mm-hmm. Catholic Church. It's it was bigger in Ireland at the time. Oh it God! Yeah. Oh yeah. God! The crimes of the Catholic Church in Ireland. Good but lord! What I'm saying was more well totally. known in Ireland than it was in America. Totally. And for for us, it, it would be like ripping up a picture of the Queen. Like, what'd she ever do to anyone? We don't really know yet. <laughs> Go and, check on Irish Twitter. They'll let you know. Yeah, yeah but. Yeah, and I believe, I, I think it was David Spade, he grabbed a piece of the picture afterwards, sort of like, oh, that'd be cool. And then, like, words start going around. This could be worth, like, millions of dollars. But then it comes to, like, they really did, on the next episode, piece together the picture and tape it back up. Because that's how worried SNL was about the fucking fallout of this. Is this going to... Yeah, there was a huge fallout over this. Yeah. This, uh, this See, I, I, I just wish instead she had said, the Catholic Church is hiding pedophilia priest. Yeah. And then ripped up the photo. That would have made yeah. it a lot more clear. She couldn't know? She couldn't say, go watch the Magdalene Sisters or all these other fucking right. movies we have. Us Americans had no idea what was happening, especially in Ireland at the time. Holy fuck. Yeah. yeah. So the backstory on this, she's just come out with a, like an autobiography and a documentary just, just about pretty recently. And so there are a bunch of interviews from her in the last couple of years talking about the fallout from this mm-hmm. and what it was she was doing. Right. So she was horribly abused by her mother and she was also a troubled teen probably because she was abused and had gone to a a magdalene sisters quote-unquote school where she witnessed a fuck ton of abuse by nuns and priests alike the picture she tore up was her mom's picture of the pope that she had had on her wall when she was a kid it's like oh this is a very 
symbolic personal personal thing and we as the audience are not getting that i know it's it's just in a time where she could she could have addressed this within minutes on twitter you wouldn't see what all the fuss was about but people were pissed about this for fucking months okay so it it uh, generally derailed her career i would say i mean that and her own she has a lot of mental illness issues over the years yeah she was becoming a huge star i think she was 21 at the time very very young she's yes. young 24 yeah, maybe? yeah something like and maybe the most 20s. beautiful bald lady i've ever seen she is yeah a star sure. but uh the next week joe pesci hosted as yes. known threat to smack o'connor mm-hmm. frank sinatra called her one stupid broad she was booed when she appeared on stage at a bob dylan tribute concert wow so mm-hmm. and by the way I watched the entire episode of SNL. There is not one memorable thing about that episode except the photo. (laughs) Oh, seriously, not a sketch, not anything I thought was worth mentioning. This is the only moment that has any relevance. And and I think it's hard to argue it's the most memorable musical moment in the history of SNL. There are are many, but this is... It's up there. I think it is. Because it's referenced for years, like, uh, as something that happened, as opposed to, like, Elvis Costello not playing the right song or the replacements being banned. People, (laughs) more people are familiar with this incident. Elvis Costello reenacted that, like, over and over in the last 40 years. And on SNL's 40th with the Beastie Boys. It's one of my favorite moments in SNL history. Anyway, anyway, Uh, go Sinead, uh, you were right. Right. And this was 1992. By 2001, Pope John... Paul II himself was apologizing yeah. for the massive levels of abuse of children that the Catholic Church was covering up to its highest levels. And there's not a lot of justice for Sinead in this other than to say, nope. you were ahead of your time. You were correct. Everybody right. should have been paying more attention to this. And they did mm-hmm. in the wrong way. Holy shit. But I'm not entirely sure she ever wanted to be a pop star. No. You know, in her no, memoir, she, said no. <laughs> she wanted to be a protest singer. And that's a very different thing from a pop star. Yep. Yeah. Remember when she like finally grew out her hair and people were like, why were you shaving it off like that? Well, maybe she was making a fucking statement about what she did not want to be. She's a fucking punk, man. Yes. Ah, love you, Sinead. Moving on. Ghost Rider debuts. So it's a quirky mystery educational series created by the Sesame Sheet Workshop, mm-hmm. a- aired on PBS. A ghost helps reveal things, but he can only write stuff. So hence the term ghost writer. Good, good show. <laughs> Same week we have uh, the debut of Great Scott. I did a terrible Christopher Lloyd. No one was done a good service. What the fuck is Great Scott about? It's a 15-year-old Walter Mitty. He uh, imagined how things would happen. Oh, shit. Great. Thanks, Steve. That's right, Steve. Oh, shit. Uh, Great Scott starred uh, baby Toby McGuire and baby Kevin Connolly. Oh. My dog is really mad about it. (laughs) Mention Toby Edge. What? Okay. Okay. That's fun. And uh, shit, I forgot we were talking about this off mic last week. Mariel Hemingway this week appears nude on a TV show, Civil Wars. Nude should be on air quotes because I looked this up. Uh, She's nude but her arms are draped in such a way that there's no nipplage Uh and you can't see anything she is nude on the set but it's still kind of rivaled for i I remember alec McBeal had a moment like that this was a big deal there were editorials written about it it was like can this pass the fcc but you can't see anything yeah at all you still weren't people weren't showing artistically live nude women on network television yep period and then 
man, we, we talked, was Justify My Love a couple years ago for mm-hmm. Madonna? Yep. Madonna at like, I would say the height of maybe, maybe, maybe right at the descent of her, like the height of her controversy, because the erotica video comes out. Following up on the Justify My Love, because that was like a band video that was then sold mm-hmm. on VHS because you were not allowed to see it on cable television. She does both here and sells it on video and MTV's like, we're not going to, like Mortal Kombat 2 on the Super Nintendo, we're not going to deny the popularity of this again. She sold 1.5 million copies Dude. of the video. It's so, and mm. they were they were like, I forget how much they were because a couple of my friends still had them in their house. Uh, mostly gay guys. <laughs> but like, that's a video with like 13 minutes of footage on it that had to be $10 or more. That's how much it... I, I, I do not get that yeah, at all. It feels it crazy. Is, it's the weirdest yeah. thing. It's because it's, it's not even like real porn right. you know no. there's some scantily plaid people and she's she's got a riding crop there's she's getting into a sort of a bondage ex- aesthetic yipty fucking do i mean it was a big deal I at the time it. it was a big she was she was courting sexual controversy at the time in a way that everyone would find positive now but you know we kind of gave a little more bench space to the bible thumpers so she was i feel like she was intentionally antagonizing people in a good way good for madonna i'm Oh, Pretty sure yeah. I rented the video and was JR. very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> also, ah. this week we have the TV premiere, TV movie premiere. Look at this cast: Ed Bailey Jr. and the greatest actor of the week, Ed Harris, Diane Keaton in Running Mates, a TV movie. Um, Running Mates is a TV movie I had a vague recollection of, and then when I looked it up, I was like, I was right. There was a version of American President before American President. Mm. It's about. Uh, I think it's a senator and Diane Keaton is his girlfriend. And then they accuse her of making this porn movie when she was younger. And they cast a, a younger actress who looked just like Diane Keaton used to look like. And this like silly porn making fun of Nixon. And it's not even real porn. It's just protest stuff. And it's all about like whether or not she will confirm it's her or not. Or she, does she have anything to apologize? So it's American president meets the contender. But in mm. 1992 um... with cool people in it. Oh, yay. Running mates. Good and then uh, The Simpsons. Great episode. A streetcar named Marge. Yeah. Mm. So my question is, and I genuinely don't know the answer. No, me neither. Is this the first Marge central episode? Like, she is the star of this episode. She it's all about her. She had the episode where she was the painter. Right. She, I hung it on me. Whoa. But that might not have been the A story to that episode. This is definitely Marge as the A story. Uh, yeah. Everybody else's whims and woes take a back seat to Marge being in a, a play, Streetcar Named Desire. <laughs> Musical adaptation. <laughs> Which I didn't get. What, why was that was funny at the time? Because I had no idea. Of course idea. you did it because you're a child. I'm a child. And uh, we got a clip from it. Mm-hmm. Oh. Hello, I am Lou Ellen Sinclair. I have directed three plays in my career and I've had three heart attacks. That's how much I care I'm planning for a fourth. Maybe I should have taken a nice calligraphy class. Oh, forget about it. That Mr. Takahashi's a lunatic. Quiet! <laughs> I am not an easy man to work for. While directing Hats Off to Hanukkah, I reduced more than one cast member to tears. Did I expect too much from fourth graders? The review, play enjoyed by all, speaks for itself. I love that line. I just think of that every time someone is too wrapped up in themselves. I just want to say, play enjoyed by all. And one of the enjoyed my play. One of the few there were. It looked like John Lovitz might have had like a similar 
role in The Simpsons like Phil Hartman, where he might mm. play more than two characters. Because he, he has a couple one-off characters early on in The Simpsons, and kind of it's just all about Artie, uh, Artie Ziff after a while. But uh, yeah. John Lovitz is great on The Simpsons and would be great in that role still. God damn. Just, I'll, although... I, I feel like maybe we've talked about this before. Is this the first time they, the, the, I feel like this isn't the first time we find out the Flanders is fucking ripped though, but I know that's definitely oh, like a thing in no, this episode. I, no, I think that's when he's I feel like that was established oiled already, up to get to the but, dog. Well, just it, it's yeah. establishing Flanders is perfect in every way, including yeah. his body. <laughs> Um, and the idea of testing of a Stanley Kowalski is then, so bad. And then this is the and I don't oh, want anybody to hear me, Stella. <laughs> you're putting me through hell. And this isn't me asking anybody to back off. I just have a lot to say about it. In big, the quite possibly some of the biggest animation news to ever happen in American pop culture, Cartoon Network hits the, hits the air on October 1st. It debuts with Frizz Freeling, 1946 Mary Melody Short, Rhapsody Rabbit. It's the first cartoon ever broadcast on the network. And Cartoon Network becomes the first ever all cartoons, all the time network. And we've had to discuss a lot of shows before this in the context of, hey, maybe... Eek the Cat isn't the best show that's ever been made, but like we had a very limited window as kids to enjoy content and especially animated content made for us. It was unfathomable that anything other than something bigger than the USA Cartoon Express or 90 minutes of Nicktoons could encompass the cable airwaves. And Ted Turner, who I always like to refer to as the good mogul, really pivotal in the launch of just cable in general and kind of media acquisitions. He had to build up TBS and TNT. He started, I don't want to go too much in this, licensing the best Looney Tunes, leaving where Looney Tunes used to play with syndicated airwaves, even Nickelodeon, and they got stuck with the worst, like, 60s Daffy Duck versus Speedy Gonzalez Bosco, yeah. like, uh, cartoons, and, and he he licensed the best. And sl- when we, again, when we talk about the death of Saturday morning, slowly TBS and TNT were like, things you would go to look at on Saturday morning, best of the best, Scooby-Doo, Flintstones, Looney Tunes, even like Pink Panther shorts, Ant and the Aardvark. Turner was snatching up all of that. In the M- MGM a- acquisition, he gets the Tex Avery, Droopy, uh, Screwy Squirrel library, uh, Tom and Jerry. And eventually he buys outright the Hanna-Barbera studio, which is still a working studio at this point, not just a legacy studio, which it sort of is now. Cartoon Network, when you see Cartoon Network Studios, you have to remind yourself, this is Hanna-Barbera. That's pretty pretty much what it was made into. So Hanna-Barbera still lives in the spirit of Cartoon Network. That's another reason that I love it. But yeah, just all that, he knew how important content was. And Cartoon Network, I remember being so excited when it hit our airwaves a few years later. And the first thing that comes on, I'm like, what the fuck is this? And it's the show, Wait Till Your Father Gets Home. The, oh, God. Yes. The the needlessly animated sitcom with, whose intro makes a giant joke out of sexual assault in the fucking intro. Watch it. The girl comes home from a date and her clothes are broken and she has a black eye. Ha ha! It happens, ladies. Uh, because, like, they could play... All day, you're going to have Flintstones, Looney Tunes. But, you know, when the, the sun starts to go down, you're going to want to see more adult content like Roman Holiday and Capital Critters and just the worst the worst possible uh, programming ever the, the first couple of years of Cartoon uh, Network. You want to see the worst programming ever. In the early, early 2000s, I worked night shifts, and I'd get home, and I would start flipping the channels about 2 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And there are things that were cartoons I didn't know there were cartoons of. 
and they'd oh, just yeah. be on Cartoon Network. There was Three Musketeers. There was Moby Dick. There was Robotic Stooges. Oh, yeah, the there Robotic was... Stooges. Roger Ramjet. The, the worst. Robin Hood in Space. Stuff. Yeah, and it Cartoon Network. So it was bad. It was... I think we now know you can't just capitalize on a pre-existing library, but it is a good way to launch a channel when you don't have any original content, which this did not. It, with barring maybe two stupid dogs and SWAT cats, which were made for other Turner channels. They now had a place to air every day. But what I do love that we get to talk about is this week is the debut of Toonheads, one of Cartoon Network's longest running shows, period, and also the longest running show for years before we hit the Adventure Time Teen Titans Go now is bizarrely become Cartoon Network SpongeBob, which I find weird, but the show is amazing. But Toonheads, it's just programming you don't get anymore of like it was put together. I know it was written a lot by one of my favorite authors and one of my favorite podcast guests we've ever had on Laser Time, Jerry Beck. Uh, I own more books by him than almost any other human being. And seeing him in person was one of the most starstruck I'd ever been. He knows everything about cartoons, literally co-wrote the first book on animation, still alive, still still doing stuff like this and curating cartoons. And Toonheads, it's not a, it'll never be available on DVD because it is yeah. the licensed library of all these other studios, usually grouped under a theme. Think like World War II cartoons, or these are cartoons about music. And it went over 100 episodes and lasted for over 11 years. And it aired late into the evening, and they could focus on contextualizing in the way that Turner Classic Movies context would contextualize Gone with the Wind. It can contextualize certain aspects of racism or inappropriateness. My generation kind of grew up enduring, but not really knowing what that was. I don't know who Emperor Hirohito is. Why is he in this Daffy Duck cartoon? <laughs> and, and it was just this unbelievably great way to show you three or four well-known cartoons, obscure cartoons from all these different companies, Hanna-Barbera, MGM, UPA. So like, it's impossible to license. You'll never be able to get that again. And there were two missing episodes. And as we record just two weeks ago, those episodes were leaked online. And I just watched both of them. They were banned, Twelve, the 12 missing hairs. They were like, have you noticed there's a couple of Bugs Bunny's episodes missing from rotation? Here they are, and we're going to tell you and show you why. It's Bugs Bunny doing blackface or equally inappropriate things and if that's not your bag and that is totally my bag and it's like but it's also presented to you like this was funny to people at the time but it sucks it sucked then and it sucked now and this is why you can't see it anymore and it's not available on dvd i have certain bootleg copies but this was a pristine copy made to be shown to adults at like 11 o'clock at night they also released this is a great one the worst cartoons ever made it is so great. If you want to see the Fat Albert in space, Scooby-Doo ripoff, Rickety Rocket, they deem Dr Disco Droopy, an insipid 1980s uh, cartoon short, as the worst cartoon ever made. They show you clips of all this awful, awful shit and, uh, th from a bunch of different companies. But Toon Heads was astounding. It, it, is, it is literally... In San Francisco, the programs I would go to and the programs I started making for my local theater before the pandemic. Theming of classical animation of things you may not be able to find on YouTube. Looney Tunes in particular have been pretty 
mean to YouTube for a long time. HBO Max, they put up their comprehensive library. By comprehensive library, I mean editing out things they don't want you to see or associate with characters who are in Space Jam. This <laughs> TV show pulled no such punches. And, so and... As, as I pointed out before, hmm. you go to a store to buy Looney Tunes products. Often it will say from the stars of Space Jam it, it because that makes me sick to my stomach. people know <sighs> Looney Tunes. It makes me sick. But but luckily, luckily, these VHS transcribed episodes of Toonheads kind of get through those Warner Brothers filters. And there are a ton of episodes online. So if you like getting high or like classic animation presented to you, I'm not sure it will ever happen again. We talked to Jerry Beck, who has worked with Warner consistently over the last 30, 40 years about delivering classic animation to you in some form or another, be that DVD, streaming, manufacture on demand, or cable, what is the future status of it? And it looks kind of weird. It's not being prioritized. Warner Brothers doesn't care that there are 100 black and white Porky Pig cartoons that much, even though I do, and, and or are presenting warts and all, the, a, a complete history of animation. Oh, no, this they did. do not care about that. That, mm. is, that is the domain of YouTubers these days, okay? It is. Tune heads is replaced by YouTubers. It's For the most people part. people who really care but about I, But I, I, I stopped making YouTube content because I was trying to do that. And these companies still very much fight to keep that off. The, you know, you will get demonetized. Yeah. It's not, it wasn't worth the trouble. But I am yeah. more than ready, geared up to do a show like Toonhead. It's one of the few shows I'm qualified to make. This show, it's the perfect show for me. If you're anything like me, I encourage you to look it up on YouTube. Because those two lost episodes were really lost for 30 years. Well, not for 30 years, but for uh, for at least 20 years up until almost this recording and you can see them in full some with incomplete voice tracks and they're like they're doing this montage of worst cartoons ever made and it's just like you see clip of new kids on the block cartoon <laughs> should we eventually license this it looks like the original producer of it was andy merrill yes who then he's brack to make space ghost ghost to coast and is the voice of but that, that's yeah. what i'm saying adult this is the form adult <laughs> content took late night on Cartoon Network because they knew they had to shift demographics after the sun went down. So it's it was a really interesting time to be a budding animation fan because you were getting a show like this and, and well-curated packages. Remember, we were talking about the Tex Avery show, the Bob Clampett show, like trying to make household names out of long-dead animators. I just don't know if you can do that now. <laughs> only only Turner Classic Movies and MeTV are in any way invested in doing anything like this. So, But we're fortunate enough to have some tune heads online and I encourage especially those two episodes if you want a really good historical look to see what the show was like they're hour-long specials by that i mean without commercials it's like 40 minutes they are wonderful and fun and there are scattered episodes available on youtube tuneheads my favorite show before i knew i'd never see anything like it again let's move on to games as we try and bring 1992 to an end which we never can in less than an hour legend of Gal Gal galahad on genesis uh, yeah you got about seven worlds like coins ultimate aim of each level is to find an object eh, deserves to be forgotten and you got for some reason predator 2 on genesis i guess someone just got this license there's delay yeah. joe this is this is how video games used to work you buy a license to a film and sometimes you come out years after it if, um, yeah it was a rated r property so i can see why they didn't have one geared up and ready to go with the movie but it's an, it looks like they did have one in, nine, in 1990 but not for genesis shooter. 
not for no. this is the thing you buy your license for genesis or nintendo or super nintendo or pc and these can all be different companies with different versions this one is basically a below average smash tv clone and one of my favorite aspects of dated early 90s we thought this would be successful sega's <laughs> exclusive green dog the beached surfer dude because some some memo not, to, to the West. All of us wanted to be California surfer dudes. I did not realize until I started doing this show how much all media in 1992 was just going to be, you want to be Californian. You are yes. Californian. <laughs> Isn't this, aren't you nostalgic for this thing that's happening right now? No. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm really not. And I'm thing. He's not actually a dog. What the fuck? It's just a guy and he's a green dog. Guy. And here's the thing. In Green Dog, the beach surfer dude, you don't surf. I, Your goal is to go back to surfing. So you you have to lift an Aztec curse by tracking down six pieces of sacred Aztec treasure scattered around the Caribbean. And oh my gosh, I guess they got the plot for Pirates of the Caribbean from this. Damn it. It's got some great uh, but, bikini lady sprites, but it's one of the most 90s cover arts you've ever seen in the game also reflects that oh yeah oh bunch of side scrolling not fun not fun bad genesis game play tnc surf design closing out 1992 with music of 1992 end of the road by boys to men still number one other new releases yeah it's a great song new release everyone going to funerals why (laughs) yeah lots of montages of uh dying people at this point new releases also include fully completely by the tragically hip which i always say like don pardo because snl was my introduction to the tragically hip because they're huge in canada but um not very as well as well known in america angel heart by bonnie tyler uh, is out can i borrow a dollar the debut of common sense aka common who i who i listen to primarily now at the oscar <laughs> can't run from yourself by tanya tucker's also out grave dancers union by soul asylum and rem's automatic for the people which is on a number 96 on the rolling stones 500 greatest albums list damn have i or this puppy out yeah <laughs> I, I was I was with It's Me, Sarah, the other day and made me miss her on the show because somebody mentioned Automatic for the People and she just made a night swimming reference. I'm like, oh, that is a respectable, <laughs> respectable deep cut off the Automatic for the People. Uh, but yeah, Automatic for the People is probably most famous for Everybody Hurts, one of those songs that like used to mean something and is now primarily played ironically when you want to laugh at somebody crying or a, a tragic, yeah. tragic incident. But And you know what's weird is it doesn't become popular for about a year. Yeah. As a single. Well, this 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 album Just had, no, I think, they, the most they, REM single. REM was one of my favorite bands at the time. I'd still say pound for pound they kind of are. If they had quit earlier, we'd talk about them like the fucking Smiths. You yeah. know, we still talk about REM a lot. They have a podcast about themselves. Do they? Yeah. <laughs> it's just all about them. And, and it's pretty good, actually. Well, I, I still think, like, before I knew what it, what it was even about, I thought Man on the Moon was one of the best songs I'd ever heard. It's just kind of nothing else like it and it turned out to be what about one of my favorite comedians and got a movie named after it for that reason but so let's close out this segment with man on the moon but when we come back people we got to head into 10 years into the future i hope you brought sexually active old people if you believe they put a man on the moon man on the moon
Coming in at 2002, September 30th, October 6th, with uh, Kelly Clarkson's A Moment Like This. It is number one this week. Welcome to 10 Years in the Future, uh, 2002. Other new releases from this week include uh, Self-Titled by, by Busted, uh, Life and Other Planets by Supergrass, A New Morning by Suede, a.k.a. London Suede, The Rag Picker's Dream by Mark... Oh, God. Nomfler? Nomfler. 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 You know Mark Nomfler. I... Of course I do. It was the other people out there I confusingly pronounced it for. The Execution of All Things by Rilo Kylie, Floetic by Floetry, uh, Man vs. Machine by Exhibit, Toxicity by Richard Cheese and Lounge Against the Machine. Uh, please listen to the episode Diana was on, the parody songs of Laser Time. Oh, man, it's so good. Uh, t- oh, we're, we're playing some Richard Cheese. Oh, yeah, you can't good. stop me. Twisted Angel by Leanne Rimes and The Young and the Hopeless by Good Charlotte. Uh, is that Mark Knopfler wrote the score to The Princess Bride. What? That's a great score. And then uh, a little bit of news to bring you the wonderful world of 2002 this week, September 30th through October 6th. The Beltway sniper attacks begin, <laughs> extending over three uh, weeks. Good God. This was such a scary thing at this time because it was so random. It was just men, women, children. Anyone could be killed in any public spot. It was basically just like, what if we drove around and just shot people at random we don't care who we kill we just want to kill as many people as possible and we don't care where we do it yep holy crud people pumping gas people walking into school yeah just just it seems so indiscriminate and terrifying remember we've already dealt with fucking anthrax and fucking 9-11 and now this is happening and then when we finally found out what it was about it's just weirder and weirder Where it's like, okay, so it was this 41-year-old guy and his 17-year-old friend, semi-adopted yeah. son, and they had already right. been kind of on a crime spree for months and no one had put it together. And then they just start hanging out in the D.C. area with their like specially built car with a sniper nest in it. Pop out the license they, plate or something like that and start picking yeah, people off. And just, just pick Ugh. somebody off. And the motive is very vague to this day it mm. could have just been chaos it could have been some sort of weird indoctrination thing it could have been some sort of weird jihad that's not really a jihad or it could have been to cover up the murder of a second ex-wife that he didn't like it's kind of like the tylenol poisonings of like let's poison a bunch of people and the person i'm after and they'll never suspect me because she was just one of the people who got killed <sighs> yeah it was yeah. fucking terrifying it, it goes on until late october yeah i mean Okay, imagine you want to steal $1,000 in cash, okay? You don't care who you steal it from. You don't care how you steal it. You just want to steal $1,000 in cash. Now, let's say you want to kill someone. Mm. You don't care who you kill. You don't care how you kill them. You just want to kill anyone. Mm. Which of those two would be easier to do? Ooh. Yeah. That's a scary question. I don't know. Yeah. Not if you want... No, I think the answer is very clear what the the answer to that is. And that's what Mm -hmm. makes it utterly terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. You're killing people you're not connected to in any way. Yeah. It's the kind of thing uh, hard right wing media likes to make conspiracy theories about because they can't understand how easy it is for someone to just do that. Sorry. I've been paying a lot of Mm. attention to the Alex Jones trial. Hilarious. Oh, good. And then real hard pivots. (laughs) Into, Good lord. It's <laughs> also a terrible thing that we don't need in our lives. Uh, I disagree. A showcase of love and respect and uh, a, a true showcase of the greatest generation. Ladies and gentlemen, the Lemon Party meme is born 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> 
Holy crud! How did this become a thing? I did a little. It's up there with. It's like a goatsy thing. It's something. It's like rickrolling. It's something that you would trick someone into looking at. Uh, yeah, I, I went looking into the origins of it as deep as I could, and I kept getting tricked into looking at more images of Lemon Party. <laughs> Why and is eventually it your Party? Google we'll algorithm started to go, "Hey, this guy likes this type of thing. Let's show." Oh no! No! Don't do that! Oh, why did I? Oh, Should have put the safe search on. You can't search Lemon Party with the safe search on. You want to see three old men in love? Just well, we do have a clip now, Dick. Let me ah, get ah, Jack. It's on me. Wouldn't be a Lemon Party without old Dick. <laughs> The best thirty rock joke ever. It's 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 the I second best one. They got away with that joke. The, the that shortest standards the, and practices. There was no a way. short-lived talk show uh, with Spike Furstein on the Fox Network, and I think part of the reason it was ahead of its time. It made like a lemon pledge commercial out of a product called Lemon Party. <laughs> that is, you you can see the audience that gets it really gets it, but it's they snuck it on network television. Look at Lemon Party commercial. It's hysterical, but. Well, JR, JR, describe Lemon Party. <laughs> I'll do no. it. I'll do. <laughs> you do it. I'll do it. Uh, well, it, it's yeah, it's an old man man getting blown while being deep mouth kissed by another old man. Three old men in, engage naked old men engaged in a sex act. Which you know, shut up. Old people do stuff. You yeah. know. Yeah. So the central fact of human existence is people you are not sexually attracted to have sex. Yes. Okay, yes. that's something that happens out there. You just don't generally want to see it. So when you see it, you don't really it's, like it. <laughs> my question stemmed from like, who took the picture? And did they give yeah. their consent? And, and if they well, did, why? I, so I looked into this a little too. Oh, no one knows who these people are. Right. Like they, mm-hmm. they have successfully, they're not like the two girls, one cup right. girls. Mm-hmm. You know, those people are known. They're out there. No one has. Oh yeah, that's Bob Smith. He uh, he fought in. They're Oklahoma. probably dead no by one. now. <laughs> they probably are dead by now. Well, at least but they one of them dead in the filming of it. So they they were they, living, they, baby. They were in it some time. But the widespread nature of this just amazes me. Yeah, there is a reference to this in the Disney film Cars Two. Excuse me. What? I am not making cars this movie? up. In Cars Two, oh. they have a bunch of old cars which are oh called God. lemons oh my God. and they have a whole bunch of lemons on the table and they all get together and all the lemons say to each other, isn't this a great party? It's a lemon party. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> right by me. Cars two just went up half a star for me. Good job. Guys. <laughs> but lemon party, show it to someone you love. In uh, oh, and, and we should say it started as a political group, the lemon party.org. <laughs> it's hard to Google. Was there Canadian. was pre-existing before the meme. Their whole thing was that they were a pro-global warming party in Canada. Oh, weird. Because they wanted Canada to become the world's largest lemon producer. At least that makes sex, American <laughs> right wing. Jesus. But uh. then it became go to lemonparty.org. Politics left you bitter. And then you mm. see this. <laughs> It's a great name. I love how, I love how we ended up naming memes. This is very much like the Goatsy meme, all that we know a little more about, but still very confusing. Yep. Anyway. I always wonder if I, my weird theory personally was it was called Lemon Party because every time you look at it, you go, ooh, ooh, and you purse your lips just like you bit a lemon. Ooh. Ugh, <laughs> oh, unless you, come on. We not, Look, as a fan of Zaddy porn, okay, moving on, I'm moving on. <laughs> 2002 movies, September 30th through October 6th. Some really 
I don't want to say fun ones, but some good ones top with one I fucking hate. Mm. Heaven with Kate Blanchett and Giovanni Ribisi. That's not an interesting movie because it is directed by Tom Teichver, who I think we last probably talked about with uh, Run the Little Run. And it's co-written by Krzysztof Kieslowski, um, who did the Trois Colors trilogy and Secret Life of Veronique. And it was supposed to be a trilogy, Heaven, Hell, and Purgatory. And they only got to the one because Kieslowski died. And it's about Kate Blanchett is a teacher who her kids keep getting killed because of drug crimes. So she plants a bomb to kill the drug kingpin, mm-hmm. but uh, accidentally kills other people. And Gino- Giovanni Ribisi is like the cop interrogating her. And it's very tense and interesting. Mm. I I am a big fan of interrogation movies. I find them really fun when just a movie that's like a chess match between two people. Ooh. Yeah. I'm not saying anything until my lawyer arrives. That is all that you do. That should be the only thing. interrogation yeah. thing. That yep. is the end of the chess match. Yeah. That's it. Yep. And even then it's you, another if, hour and a half of you just sitting quietly. Even if your lawyer doesn't exist, say just say lawyer and then spit no, on the tell floor. Tell them to get you one. Yes. <laughs> I cannot afford a lawyer. Please provide one. I'm not speaking until they arrive. Mm. And yeah, don't and say done. it again. Don't do anything. You're done. Mm-mm. And next, I can't wait to see what you guys think about this movie. I used to have to watch it a lot because my you know, when we all moved out and didn't get cable and depended on DVDs, my uh, roommate, my ex's roommate, would watch this all the time. But kind of uh, the big break of uh, Roman, <laughs> if you're Secession fans. Also, Rory Culkin is in this movie as he is Rory most Culkin, Culkin is playing younger Kieran Culkin. Yes. Yep. How did they get that guy? They look so much alike. They really do. And it's I think he did it in Good Son as well. Gregory Itzen, Gore Vidal, Jim Gaffigan for some weird reason, Cynthia Nixon, Celia Weston, Amanda Peet, Jared Harris, Bill Irwin, Ryan Phillippe, Susan Sarandon, Bill Pullman, Jeff Goldblum, Claire Danes, and Kieran Culkin, and Igby Goes Down. That cast. It's a wonderful cast. It's just, I got a different vibe trying to rewatch it this time and enjoy it because it is a, I don't know, it's, it is a dark comedy on purpose. But it's also like, it feels like classic literature when everything needed to be the great Gatsby. Do I care that much about rich people and their problems? What if Max Fisher, if he was unlikable and got everything he wanted anyway? Dude, it is this close to Catcher in the Rye. It's about as close to a a film version of Catcher in the Rye that we should ever get. No one should bother filming that. Mm. Please, please don't. Because the language is so much more important than the plot. God damn it. There's so much of it I like. You're going to do it the second he dies. Yeah. There's so yeah, much of the, the second he dies, someone's going to film it. There's so much yeah. of the movie I liked. It just seemed like of a vibe. I don't think. Wait, we'd... the second J.D. Salinger dies? No. He died. Uh, oh, he did? Yes. Oh. Oh, you're thinking of the guy who, uh, uh, Salman Rushdie. He was just stabbed. He didn't die. But Igby goes down. I know a lot of, well regarded by a lot of people, but it just wasn't dark enough to be dark comedy. Mm-hmm. Wasn't mean enough to be fun. It, it, I just couldn't relate to the character, main character anymore. A spoiled boarding school blah blah. What was funny though is the first of two Susan Sarandon movies this week. She is playing a just aloof aristocrat and how it's like she is basically Lucille Bluth. Why doesn't she do this more? Uh, <laughs> rotten Susan Sarandon is still pretty fun. But other than that, a great Jared Harris. Holy shit, he's great in this film. But uh, Igby he's goes down. Awesome. Yeah, I I generally liked it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can see a lot of people just being like, well, fuck you and your privilege. You don't really have problems. Well, what the hell's your problem? And it's like telling someone that their problems aren't real does not right. make the problems better. <laughs> it makes them worse. It makes them. And this guy, you know, he, he, yes, he grows up in this very, very fancy blue blood sort of place. And he 
knows there's something else out mm-hmm. there, something better, but he doesn't know how to get to it or exactly what it is he's trying to get to. Yes. So it's about him trying to figure that out. And he ends up with like people doing drugs and like bohemians and performance artists and whatever. And it's still like, I don't know if this is what I'm looking for though. Oh, And it's just about the looking. I know. I'm just, you know, you got a lot of friends with like teenage kids now and you can see them. Oh shit. They're er- entering that era of cynical despair and hopelessness. And they don't have the mm-hmm. options. Igby had to mm-hmm. hide out in a $3 million a month loft, get laid, go to parties. Meh. <laughs> Get so sc- quick side them. digression. Salinger's estate has refused to this day to oh, sell rad. the rights. However, there's always the question if they ever need the money, maybe they'll just cave in. In the public domain. Enter the public domain in 2080. Oh, okay. That's, that's okay. We won't see that for a while. Yeah. So yeah, if uh, if if that's if if Catcher in the Rye speaks to you a little too much, uh, think about why, and then eh, maybe you will like Igby goes down. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I, I, I liked find it. him more likable than Holden Caulfield. That's for sure. I liked it less than I did previously, and I wasn't in love with it to begin with. A movie I recall liking, but it was very much of just so. <laughs> Such a drama, I don't know that I'd ever watch it again. We got Dabney Coleman, who usually saves every movie, Ellen Pompeo, Holly Hunter, Susan Sarandon, Dustin Hoffman, and Jake Gyllenhaal, and Moonlight Mile, a drama-ass drama, uh, if Mm. there ever was one. And I don't... uh, Did anybody else get a chance to see this? I have to admit, I did not. This is one of the ones I missed. Love the Rolling Stones song. And then reading the the synopsis like oh that's interesting because it's yeah what what happens when your significant other your boyfriend or girlfriend is dies or is killed and you've got to like deal with their family Mm -hmm. but you're not really fitting into the grieving the way they are yeah I, yeah, I actually and, like and find out that it's based on is written and directed by Brad Siberling, who was dating yes. Rebecca Schaefer when she was murdered mm-hmm. by a stalker. Yes. Yeah, like, so, oh, yeah, that is mourning is hard. I mean, everyone does it really differently. And the idea that it's like, aren't you mourning more? And you're like, no, I, I don't have many inter- interesting nightmares. There's but... no wrong way to mourn. It's mm-hmm. a personal experience. However, gets you through it is good for you. I'm I'm too mm-hmm. old to have interesting nightmares. Usually, I'm back in an office and everyone's ignoring me. But I yeah. did re- just apropos of nothing have that. Yeah, like the person I'm seeing dies and I have to deal with their family. And it was yeah, this is a real long nightmare. I hate this. <laughs> but yeah. Moon- Moonlight Mile, like it's a it's a feel bad movie all around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'd never heard of Rebecca Schaefer. Had you? Um, we, I think yeah, it was on I remember thir- when that happened. I watched my sister Sam. We, it was on thirty twenty ten, so we had to cover it several times. Okay. All right. So yeah, I'm I'm just not familiar with it. And no, she was she was you know an up and coming actor. She was on a sitcom with Pandover from Work and Mindy, and yeah, an obsessed fan tracked her down and killed her. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so I guess this is part of his experience of like, yeah, your girlfriend gets murdered. You got to help her family deal with everything. Now there's going to be a trial. There's uh, lots of things to do, and it's yeah, being around other people that are mourning in different ways it's just it's very difficult especially if it turns out like like i feel bad but i don't feel as bad as everyone else yeah. is that right i don't know yeah it's not it's not one i felt i needed to watch again as is the next movie which i did bother to watch because a long time ago we did a podcast and i did an ad- adjacent article about animated movies based on television cartoons and what critically scored the highest at a real hot number 10 we have 
Jim Poole, like above Beavis, like just beating out Beavis and Butthead and SpongeBob, uh, Beavis and Butthead Do America and the SpongeBob movie. Jim Poole, Kristen Blood, Blackman, Shelby Vishner, Dan Anderson, Lisa. Why are you making me read all these cats? Uh, T- Tim Hodge. <laughs> it's the Veggie Jonah of Veggie Tales movie. A Veggie Tales movie critically outperformed the Care Bears movie. <laughs> well, that's not surprising. But uh, yeah. it, yeah, did a surprising amount of bank based on something that I think at this point hadn't had a proper tv show yet or it was it was making straight to video for the yeah. christian market and yeah they were straight to video they've been doing that for a while this is their first movie ass movie mm-hmm. colon for mm-hmm. film theaters <laughs> doesn't look any better <laughs> does well, it does it really well and the, the reviews mm-hmm. are real strong of like look okay yeah this is christian bible stories but you know, they're keeping the messages light and entertaining for kids. And some of them said, like, it gets surreal enough sometimes. It's like, yeah, grownups will actually enjoy this. Well, that was the, well, crit- that the was- story of Jim- Bob the Tomato, <laughs> Dad Asparagus, Larry. who are on the way to a concert. And then we flash back to biblical times and the story of Jonah. Of Jonah and, and-, and the whale, which is inherently, like, a great thing to depict on film. And yeah. in rather bizarrely... It was criticized for from fans of VeggieTales because it didn't. It is a biblical story, but it didn't hit you over the head with like biblical philosophy, like the show is known to do. And the show would gradually kind of back off of that, trying to reach a mainstream mainstream audience. It's VeggieTales has a weird history because uh, it's one of the most successful TV shows with no network to air on. And I remember my grandmother when she whatever I know what the store was. I don't remember what it was called, but she would shop there. So for Christmas, we'd get bizarre videos like McGee and me. She would buy me Wisdom Tree NES games where you played as Moses. And <laughs> But this was big in those circles, and those circles would eventually get their big movie in a few years with Passion of the Christ and show you what their buying power look, really looked like on a national level. And then moving into the number one movie at the box office, Jesus Christ, a movie I, I hope is the movie Diana dislikes the most. I don't know. No, it. Oh, not no. even close. Not- okay. Even all right, all right. it's up there with me, and look at this. I would say it's unnecessary, but not bad. I hated it. That's uh, my argument. It. Yeah. Is basically right. this of doesn't course. need to exist. But if you look at it entirely on its own, it's okay. I mean, I I was not as let's talk about the movie for Mary Louise Parker, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Emily Watson, Harvey Keitel, Refines, and ooh Anthony Hopkins, whoever he is, and Edward Norton. It's number one at the box office. It is Red Dragon. This is what the subject's teeth look like. I need your advice, Dr. Lecter. I'm all ears. He smashes mirrors and uses the pieces. Wears latex gloves so we've got no prints. What do we make of that symbol? It marks the red dragon. We hate touch your face. I am becoming more than a man. I am the dragon. I regret it came to this, but every game must have its end. Red Dragon. Red Dragon. You know, I just want to say off the cuff, one of the most unsung cancellations of our Me Too era. I fucking hate Brett Ratner. And I hate most Yay. of the movies that he's made. And he was an early, and he doesn't get to make stuff anymore. And it's awesome because he didn't. Des- there was nothing in his film repertoire that said he'd be good at making this type of movie. And I, yeah. I don't understand why they let him do it. Because I really no, didn't like the Rush this. Hour. He, he'd done the Rush Hour movies yeah. up to this. It's and like, and the, the bad X-Men movie. Yeah. Why? No, he hasn't done the bad X. Oh, he hasn't done the bad X Men movie. That's in his future. Okay, that's coming up next. I think. Yeah, I mean, this is damning with faint praise. I think this is Brett Ratner's best work. Holy shit! (laughs) Didn't like Money Talks. I loved it. Just because I don't think his directing in Rush Hour is especially interesting. Mm. Yeah, he's actually trying here. Yeah. So we talked about last week when we were talking about Last of the Mohicans and Michael Mann. He made a movie 
called Manhunter, which is an adaptation of the book Red Dragon, which is the first appearance of Hannibal Lecter. And that movie is much better, although it changes a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. I remember back a year ago, Hannibal was a big ass hit and it made a bunch of money, even though it's quite terrible. And <laughs> they're like, OK, well, what other Hannibal Lecter we have? We still have one Hannibal Lecter book. Yep. That we haven't filmed with Anthony Hopkins. And they were so, being, they were being kind enough do it. in this era, given how much those movies made, which was a lot considering what the source material is. Silence of the Lambs was a huge, huge $100 million success. Mm-hmm. And so was Hannibal, number one at the box office. I find it bizarre Hollywood just didn't take the reins and like, we're going to write more Hannibal stories. Instead, they waited for the author to do shit because there mm-hmm. will be another Hannibal prequel film-wise. Yeah. But... I, I do like Manhunter. I watched Manhunter for the first time, and then back to back, I watched Red Dragon. Oh, okay. What, what's wow. your favorite? Yeah, and uh, I hadn't seen any of them before now. I was blown away by Manhunter. Mm-hmm. I was just, like, sucked into that world. I mean, William Peterson yeah. does mm-hmm. such an amazing portrayal as Graham. Oh, is as uh, Graham. Brian, Brian Cox is... Uh, Brian mm-hmm. Cox is Hannibal. Yeah. He's a completely different Hannibal, but still a great Hannibal. Yeah. And he's not a main character in Manhunter the way he's like shoehorned in here. And yeah. the big thing about Red Dragon is it doesn't need to exist. People yep. should have just <laughs> yeah. seen Manhunter because, okay, William Peterson's character is like getting into the mind of the serial killer and it messes him up. He's puts himself in asylum afterwards because he is so messed up. Edward Norton. I don't get that from him. Nope. I mean, I get that. He's like, Oh, this is a tough job. I'm, I'm worried. But when he like puts himself in the mind of the serial killer, it's like he has an epiphany when William Peterson puts himself in the mind of the serial killer he is feeling what a serial killer feels Mm -hmm. and it's the worst feelings in the world Mm. he has this touching moment with his son where he tells exactly that there's not that depth to red dragon edward norton's character doesn't go that dark doesn't go that deep and it it's not as good it's it's nope. I, I don't think it improves anything. The ending is changed up to make it more Hollywood, mm-hmm. which. Uh, well, that's, I, I, that's I, the problem. It's the, it's the ending from the book. The Red Dragon, the movie actually sticks to the ending from the book, which is a little more complicated and it's a little less cinematic, you know, the, yeah. but, and the, the changes to Manhunter. I think it's actually a pretty smart choice as much as I do like the ending of the book, Red Dragon, which I've read a couple of times and it is fucking terrifying. And I was hopeful with Edward Norton because he does have a kind of a twitchy, nervous energy that could have worked for Will Graham. And he doesn't quite let it out. Yeah. I don't think he's trying very hard in this movie at all. Yeah. It just. Compared to what JR is talking about. I'm sorry, because this is like a in hindsight comparison. But that is the last Mm -hmm. time I spent significant time with this. The show Hannibal. Yep. The first in second, I never, I never got to finish the third season for some reason. Is a fucking oh. triumph. It is the, it is the best thing. I think even better. Silence of the Lambs is a great like movie, but like I think the best thing done with the Hannibal property is the Hannibal show, and it does mm-hmm. overlap with the Red Dragon period. And I remember Tyler and I were obsessed with it, and he put he like check this out, and he puts on red. red it doesn't tell me what it is, but I know what it is, and it's the opening sequence. And I'm like, why does this sound so familiar? I'm like. Because it's taking like amazing moments from a season of Hannibal and condensing them into the first four minutes of this film. <laughs> and it's yeah. deeply unsatisfying now to watch if you enjoy Hannibal on any level. That show was amazing. Everything you're talking about, JR, with Will Graham's character, the utter torture of having to like 
feel and think through these things is done beautifully and surreally in wonderful, wonderful dream sequences. That show was amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And that, that got it. the character. And there is a season where they basically do this story again. Yeah. And yeah, it's faster and uh, arguably better there too. It's like everything, it, it's everything about the show. We were laughing at red dragon for how stupid and Hollywood and cliched and hackneyed they were carrying mm -hmm. out the exact same story. Getting to the worst yeah. part, try in order to try and get to the m most uninteresting parts of it. It was a weird way to watch a film, and that's the last way I watched Red Dragon. But I did see it in the theater, and I have seen it twice now, and I don't like it at all. No, I think, yeah, it's so tough. That's like, okay, if you look at this completely in a vacuum and you pretend this is the first thing ever made with any of these characters, it's okay. Chronologically, it's, it is. It's okay. Chronologically, yes, mm -hmm. this is a prequel to Silence of the Lambs. Well, but it is the it is the first but, book. This is the yeah, as a story, first. is the first Hannibal introduction to Hannibal. Yeah, and it's about, oh, I should even explain this, about a detective who's going after the serial killer who kills entire families, and he brings in Hannibal Lecter, who is a uh, psychopath, former therapist, and uh, asks him for hints and tips. <laughs> and, I mean, it's another problem. Is that, yeah, Ray Fiennes is way too attractive to play this character that he's playing, who is a... I mean, in the book, like, there's a little bit of, you have the tiniest bit of sympathy for him because he's obviously, he's been very, very abused as a child and he's he's got a cleft palate and kids gave him shit for that and his grandmother was a piece of work. And But yeah, here uh, it's kind of like the, it, it's a little bit of the, um like the, the Jarrah Butler Phantom of the Opera. It's like, you have a tiny scar. Why are you acting like, you know, you're the elephant man? Man, I, I hope this doesn't put me on a Google watch list because I just... Google 10 best looking serial killers. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> now you're going to enter, enter into the Dahmer conversation on accident. Oops. Yeah. So it's just like, yeah, it's just generally. Monday ain't bad. No, Monday was probably, probably the best. Looking. And Paul John Knowles was known as the Casanova killer. Oh. And yeah, I could see why. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah. But yeah, yeah, so there are attractive yeah, serial killers. Yeah. Oh, no, no, there, there definitely are. But. Yeah, does this need to exist? No. No. I mean, of of movies with Hannibal Lecter in it, I think it's the third best. What <laughs> Which two? Is, uh, what two, two? Two would be Manhunter. Oh, oh yeah. okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. And no go. love for oh, Hannibal, I, Hannibal I, I Rising. So at least it's myself, not the bottom. I could see myself doing an 80s in depth on a Manhunter because that, that should get more love. The, I'm yeah. But I'm telling you, if you have any real love for and I always saw potential in the character of Hannibal Lecter. That show, Hannibal, Mads Mikkelsen, if you didn't know, Jr. plays him. Hugh Dancy plays mm. Will Graham. Feels like he might have certain predilections possibly towards being a serial killer, which is why he can understand them so well and is completely torn by it mm -hmm. and trying to see a doctor as a result of it, not just solve crimes. It's fucking rad. Fucking rad. Yeah. Uh, and Hannibal is a rad-ass show. But, all right, I'll say one other nice thing. Philip Seymour Hoffman. We just talked about in the master. Yes. Here he's playing extremely different character a couple of weeks later, and he's killing it. He's like the best thing in the movie because, duh, he's Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yes. Eh. Yep. Yes, but ultimately dissatisfying. I I don't know why, because I, I know it's all wrapped up in Dino De Laurentiis somehow scored these rights back in the day for Manhunter, and they still got to go to the De yep. Laurentiis people to make these movies. But I don't know why they're not doing more and waiting for the author to do stuff because Hannibal really explored how that relationship could be really really cool, but. Mm -hmm. Little too cool and dark for NBC audiences 10 years ago. Ah, speaking of television, moving to TV of September 30th through August 6th, still standing debuts. Still standing. It's a family sitcom set in Chicago. Uh, the kids are 
actually well adjusted while their parents are kind of never really gave up uh, high school antics. It usually ends with the kids teaching the adults a lesson. Oh, that's cute. Yep. Mark Addy and Jamie Gertz. They're fun. Whatever. Still standing. We also have the debut of Taboo. So this ran for 10 seasons on the National Geographic channel. It's all about looking at things that are forbidden in some cultures, Mm -hmm. illegal in some cultures, and accepted in other cultures. You know, it's a pretty well done series. It gets into some interesting things. Very much reminds me of one time there there was a Encyclopedia Britannic article on body disfigurement, you know, Mm -hmm. and it included Mm -hmm. things like, you know, those people with the rings around the neck. Mm-hmm. And then it included those people with the super uh, things in their lips. Mm-hmm. And then it mentioned breast implants. And I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, okay. actually, yeah. When you put it that way, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is so a neat show. I would, I would grab it. Viewpoint. I w- yeah, I would watch it. There's sometimes. lots of clips on YouTube's on various subjects. And it, will it shock yeah. you to know this is not streaming on Disney Plus despite, <laughs> despite its origin? <laughs> oh, oh. I mean, it's not like they're getting into like, for oh, for like, Americans, let me say. Really obscure stuff, but just the idea of, like, tattoos. Mm-hmm. Some cultures, they are banned. Some places, they are basically mandatory to be part of the culture. Okay? Evil spirits. Some people believe they are this way. Some people believe they are that way. Like, yeah, it's neat. I learned stuff. Love it. Love it. And um, I, I just said, one of the things during the break, I wasn't sure if I contextualized the beginning of Cartoon Network. They very quickly create that What a Cartoon program, which is basically like a pilot program. You can see a very early template for Family Guy that was paid for by Cartoon mm-hmm. Network. But more mm-hmm. notably, Dexter's Lab, Cow and Chicken, Powerpuff Girls, Johnny Bravo. It, that comes out of that. But that is a slow burn. That takes like three years. For a long time, Cartoon Network is just legacy content. And by the time it hits a 10-year anniversary, I think what most young people know as Cartoon Network is worthy of being celebrated. And that's what they're celebrating yeah. on its 10th anniversary this week. 2002 Cartoon Network was my jam. Yeah. Uh, while living in Japan, it was like one of only two channels that broadcast in English. Like I could set my TV and then it would be in English instead of Japanese. And so I watched so much of Cartoon Network in this period. And those shows are just burned into me. And I will always have such a nostalgia for Cartoon Network in the year 2002. And it it wasn't appropriate to mention back then, but like Japanese animation, Cartoon Network owes a shitload of credit to the tsunami cycle and and what ended up defining Adult Swim and it's a maybe less than child-based programming Japanese animation. My my Japanese students would not believe that Samurai Jack was created by an American. Great. Tying it all in, we we do have an anime debut that comes to Cartoon Network looks like 2005. Mm -hmm. Sorry, suckers. You gotta wait a couple years for Naruto. Yeah, but this introduced itself in Japan in 2002, and it took off like wildfire among my students. They just Mm. instantly grafted to it and were like, this is the best show. And here we are 20 years later. It is still a force, and it has introduced stupid, stupid running to generations of children (laughs) at this point. I'd, I'd argue Mario did that in Mario 64 a little bit. But but Naruto, professionally, I had to become aware of Naruto because I was working in games and let's just say very low on the totem pole, intern, intern here. And these are incredibly popular, wildly popular games, but not 
what you would consider like your most popular games of 10, 15 years ago. But with that audience and they, and there was, they were catching up with what was being adapted and just translating the Japanese games. They were, they, I was covering it so much. They flew me to the premiere of the Naruto movie. So I ended up reading, reading and watching the first bunch of Naruto. And it was just the simplest way you can say it. And I don't mean it to be derivative. It's ninjutsu Harry Potter. It's the story of a, Orphan dude doesn't know much learning how to do magic or for lack of a better word, ninjutsu style. And you meet a ton of interesting characters, great sense of humor, uh, wonderful action and uh, thing, situations you care about. It's really good from the beginning. And uh, it, it was bizarre. It took so long for Amer to catch on because now where we live now, we're day and date with new anime. We don't have to wait years to catch up. Yeah, that but, is yeah. such a difference. Mm hmm. Uh, but Naruto, I think, still ongoing in some form, had numerous time jumps. I'm not an expert. Why don't I just not talk about it? You know, speaking of me not being an expert out of, out of anything, Less Than Perfect, it debuts this week. Work rom-com, uh, ran four years, no-nonsense woman with her dorky friend, a famous new anchor, and now they're uh, jealous co-workers. And... Yeah, that's got it. Stacked cast, though. I mean, Sarah Ruse the star, but Sherry Shepard, Zach Levi, Eric Roberts, Andy Dick, Will Sasso, Patrick Warburton are all on the show. Damn, I didn't watch a second of it, but good for them. Yes, <laughs> yeah. And and then a show I I sort of saw, but like my town didn't have Howard Stern, but I would read Rolling Stone. It's like Howard Stern's first narrative TV show, Son of the Beach. Son of the Beach. It ends this week, and. Uh, oh. This was such a disgusting show. I mean, it had such a low-class, low-brow humor. If you ever think they will not stoop to a joke, you're right, because they will dig further deeper than you ever thought possible to stoop even lower. And I wanted to watch it so badly. I don't know why. I Somehow, I must have seen like one clip of it that was funny in Japan, and I couldn't watch it. And I was like, that looks hilarious. And I didn't have FX at the time. And then when I got back, Son of the Beach was one of the first DVD box sets I ever watched. Oh, wow. And I like put in like one episode and I was like, well, this isn't very good. And then another episode and I was like, oh, this is this is quite bad. But I had <laughs> built it up over my mind because I couldn't really watch it. And for some reason, and I still don't know why, I was determined this must be a hilarious show, but I couldn't watch it. And then when I got back, oh, it's all out on DVD. Instant purchase. It It is also kind of indicative of FX and its original programming infancy. Like maybe we just need to do what the other cable channels won't dare to, and they, which they would eventually excel in for different reasons. Maybe Howard Stern level juvenile, for lack of a better word, juvenile comedy. I am the demographic for this. I would have watched it if I could. Always Sunny is coming out soon and we'll kind of redefine what comedy is on that network yeah that about wraps up television but we have some really important games to bring up for uh september 30th through october 6th hitman 2 silent assassin on a ps2 and xbox solidifying a franchise that is still ongoing and well revered despite square not giving a shit about it but still so going i've never played a hitman game should i yeah, yeah, they, dude, Jr. I'll tell you, they've never been for me, but I can still appreciate what they do. I'm not a big fan of stealth. That's kind of where, yeah. but this the way it goes about that is way more creative than almost any other stealth game that there is, especially with some of the new ones. And Hitman Two is considered a very high watermark, and I don't rem remember why exactly, but when we were working 
when I met Mr. Diana Goodman, Michael Raparez, we were working with a UK team. And for them, like Hitman 2 was one of the greatest games ever made and constantly in that kind of conversation. Although I have not played, because I, I really, I've tried to play every one and I just can't really get a lot out of it. I like to move a little faster. They are smart stealth games. And the other ones become smart open world chain based stealth games that end up having you do these utterly creative things and then making you feel very creative given that there's never one way to do anything even if you want to be like outright run and gun be spotted <laughs> you can do that too but uh hitman hitman surprising but this is it's finally a thing it's it's not just one successful game we got a hitman 2 out conflict desert storm there's a colon in there somewhere i'll let you guess where um, so, yeah, it's a third-person tactical shooter game. It's about Desert Storm, and, you know, we are only a year away from the sequel. And but I, by, the, by the time I was involved in the game's press, making a game like this was kind of seen as pretty fucking insensitive, given what our given conflict the is like. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and this this happened to come out in that time in the middle, so I'd be really curious to see how this plays at all, because... We, you didn't have the emotional hang-up in 2002. You might have had one, two years earlier or two years later. And also, i got to shout out Burnout 2, Point of Impact. Burnout, one of my favorite racing games of all time. It was barely about racing and more about takedowns. Long live the Crash Breaker, where you crash your car and have mild control over the husk which you will then try and steer towards more damage or things to explode to then move your husk. Sometimes blocks further on and on, creating a, a, a wave of destruction. And it, it slowly got fold. The team got folded in the Need for Speed team, and Hot Pursuit is is made by the Burnout team in one of the best Need for Speed games ever. I turned it on the other day. I'm not kidding. Lord of the Rings: The Fellowship of the Ring is on GBA, as we said last week. This is well, not- what? this is, no. We said Xbox. It's a different one? Last week. This right. is a different. Uh, uh, oh, so crying out loud. Yeah, this is also based on the book. It's very different from the Xbox game. It's a top-down RPG action game with a fair amount of fighting, but it's not very good. <laughs> it is a darn shame. I I could not get into it, and I desperately want to wander around the Lords of the Rings world in video game format. So if I'm not going to do that, you failed. Yeah, and uh, and then and then I love that you wanted to bring this up this week in terms of like it is really one of the few great games you do not have official access to and have not for a now marking twenty years. No one lives forever too. The Spy in Harm's Way. Yeah, this game is not available anywhere. It is legally. It is trivially easy to find this illegally. But here's the situation. This game was first published by Sierra Entertainment, Mm -hmm. who were in turn absorbed by Activision in 2008. And Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment acquired Monolith, the the developers, Mm -hmm. in 2004. And none of them know who owns the rights. The rights to this are pre-digital. They are sitting in some box in some warehouse somewhere. And they're like, we don't know if we own these rights, but if you try to release it, then we will have we will our lawyer after you. look for it and sue you. And that's 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 the bummer because Monolith is the secret sauce behind all this. They're owned by a, a competitive company, and inarguably, I'm sure the publisher has some rights to this. Diana, these are before we were talking about great female protagonists. No one lives forever, like uh, <laughs> like a more serious Austin Powers kind of game. 
really yeah. funny, Female really engaging. Female Spawn. I wouldn't even call her Austin Powers. I mean, no, she's no, but humorous. Just, sorry, but, but just like far more the motif is, is very Austin Powers. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It goes for the swinging 60s vibe, only you're a female secret agent. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. I'm assuming cat suits are involved. Uh, yes. Yeah, you got to go. Oh, you yeah, got to have a speed suit on that lady. Oh, yeah. But but it, it, yeah. it is tragic because it gets talked about a lot as one of the greatest franchises. No one really knows what to do with. And the, given that the create creative minds who want to make this happen are owned by a competing studio then who might whoever might own the rights i'm sure someone can figure this out it's just the longer time goes on there's just not enough money involved in making it worth solving so it just becomes even more of an obscurity and there's ways to get it but i've never had more problems than when i try and play windows games of this period emulate them on in any way it's just never fucking works but there are youtube videos out there and it's one of the best series you can't play very easily at all even through emulation no one lives forever and this is the last one isn't it jr yes it is there's yeah. no others after that. there's no others after this sad sad but that about ends uh 2002 and we gotta close out with uh, some richard cheese one of my favorite songs used very well in the dawn of the dead remake down with the sickness you motherfucker we're gonna close out with uh, richard cheese uh, and lounge against the machines cover of down with the sickness but don't move we got one more segment and we'll give you a, a whole new reason to get taken get up come on get down with the sickness you mother get up come on get down with the sickness you fucker get up Come on, get down with the sickness. Madness is the gift that has been given to me. I can see inside you the sickness is rising. Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of September 30th through October 6th, quick and easy recommends because we have so many recommends in the show this week. But let's start with 60 years ago this week. 1962 saw the release of Dr. No, the very first James Bond film. And it's pretty weird to watch because they haven't settled into the James Bond formula yet. So it sticks out as being sort of like weird and it's like the only music they have is the james bond theme so they just keep playing it over and over um which makes everything really exciting you know really is like he's renting a car but i like that it is uh, the 60th anniversary and around the end of october beginning november we get to talk about the 50th anniversary movie which is seriously one of the best bond movies of all time period and i am pumped for it you know it's interesting though james bond has always worked for her majesty's secret service Even going back to the books, the books were written after Elizabeth became queen. So James Bond suddenly now works for His Majesty's Secret Service. And I don't know if I'm okay with it. You know what? Maybe we should just call this off. Like, we're good. We're done. Pack it up. Go home. And then 50 years ago this week, one of my favorite terrible movies. And I'm about to rant about a movie that I think is terrible, that is unwatchable. And this is so bad that you do start holding your head and wonder what were they thinking when they made and released Night of the Lepus aka Rabbits based on the novel Year of the Angry Rabbit. It stars Stuart Whitman Janet Lee, and everyone's favorite actor who walks on his hind legs Rory Calhoun and it is about scientists tampering in God's domain and they make giant rabbits that then start attacking people um, like wolf-sized rabbits and 
these are generally portrayed as a guy wearing a kind of ratty looking bunny costume who just sort of jumps on people and goes ah, 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 and puts like red tempera paint on them like ah, 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 ah. oh no they've been mauled by the giant rabbit it is so goofy and so dumb and why what what were they thinking it's a major studio film this isn't some you know uh, manos the hands of fate bullshit these are real goddamn actors janet goddamn lee star of psycho is in night of the lepus running from the giant rabbits that are chasing her car and oh deforest kelly's in it too i totally forgot deforest kelly star trek fans he's there to fight the giant rabbits too so night of the lepus one of my favorite bad movies <sighs> what were they fucking thinking yeah yeah look out here come the bunnies and I don't know if, like, they lost their rights or something, but it's, like, you can see it. TNT used to run it, like, late at night a bunch, and they were just running, like, Monster Vision-type bad movies. And I think there's a clip of it in Natural Born Killers of all things. Like, every now and then, if you see a bunch of bunnies in slow motion, because they have to do it in slow-mo because rabbits run too fast to get them on film. <laughs> bunnies in slow motion running over, like, a little Lego set of a farm. Night of the Leapus, baby. Check it out. That's it for this week. Stay classic. Coming in 2012, September 30th through October 6th with Pontoon by Little Big Town off of Tornado. It is out this week. Other new releases music-wise heading out this week. Tempest by Bob Dylan. Love This Giant by David Byrne and St. Vincent. Here's What I Believe by Joe McEldry. Carpenter by the the Avid Brothers. Good Guys by Bucky Covington. Away from the World by Dave Matthews Band. Fight or Flight, Fight or Flight by Who Bestank. Self Entitled by No Effects. Kiss by Carly Rae Jepsen. And the the Spirit Indestructible by Nelly Furtado. One More Night by Maroon Five is still number one. Topical. Topical. That, that the funniest <laughs> thing I saw of that is like Adam Levine looks like a guy who went into a tattoo shop and just said. Give me some tattoos. <laughs> My favorite is still saying he looks like a Chipotle bag. Yeah. <laughs> I can't unsee it now. How do these all mean something to you? Anyway, 2012, let's get you into the magical world of 2012. A little, tiny little bit of news. California becomes the first state to ban conversion therapy for minors. Yeah. Show of applause, indeed. Yeah, yes. Very, very good. We have to say, as a tease, Diana has said she's seen one of the worst movies this week she's ever seen, and we don't know what it is yet. I, I still don't know. And, I'm and, really curious. There are there are four options. First up in movies, Scott Glenn, David Oyelowo, John Cusack, Nicole Kidman, Matthew McConaughey, and Zach Efron in the p -p -p paper boy. I want to do some Atlanta Spoiler alert, it's this one. It's this this one. is one of the worst fucking movies I have ever fucking seen, and I am actively angry at it. Everyone involved in it. Although, I do have a theory that it is some sort of elaborate prank, possibly on the actors. Ooh, okay. So, I had no interest in seeing this movie. Um, it became... Like it became a thing because there's a scene where Zac Efron got stung by a jellyfish and Nicole Kidman pees on him. And that's all I knew about this movie. <laughs> and then my brother, whose taste I generally trust, said, oh, no, you should see it. It's like Southern Gothic, sweaty sexuality, like wild things or something. Mm -hmm. My flesh and blood lied to me. <laughs> well, maybe <laughs> for a good reason. Now we got you into wild. Wild things is wonderful. Mm -hmm. I love wild things. This is so 
uncomfortable and grimy and disturbing but not in a good way like it's not supposed to be as disturbing as it is mm -hmm. so the plot is john cusack is accused of murder matthew mcconaughey is a reporter who's writing a story about maybe he didn't do it and and zach afron is like brother or cousin or whoever is helping him out with that nicole kidman is a woman who became pen pals with john cusack in prison and uh now wants to get with him okay sure not a problem it's based on a book okay let's see where we're going with this lee daniels writing and directing lee daniels coming off of precious so he's like cashing a check here like this is what i want to do because after precious was a big commercial and critical hit mm -hmm. okay and this is so far removed from precious in so many ways and that's <laughs> maybe good maybe bad so early scene nicole kidman and john cusack meet in person for the first time she starts making a sex doll face at him until he jizzes his pants and it's downhill <laughs> from there i'm picturing the lonely island video right now Jeez. that would have been so much funnier oh my god yeah it's a woman visits uh, me on death row <laughs> it, and that jizz in my pants it's mind-boggling how lee daniels got so many good actors to be so like degraded as actors and characters uh later on matthew mcconaughey we get to see him trussed up on his stomach getting beaten by some dudes in a hotel room on top of they've taken down the shower curtain and he's laying on top of it while they beat on him which i feel like implies they've also been peeing on him also he's naked so if you want to see matthew mcconaughey's taint or maybe his stand-ins here you go. It turns out that was his idea. He's super into that. He's not oh. just a masochist. He likes to get beat on so bad he loses an eye. And it's like, yep, this is what I'm into. It's so fucking grimy. And there's some bad filmmaking choices where I don't understand why you're cutting from this to that. The movie's narrated by like the housekeeper who's not even a character really. Wow. And it's like, it's supposed to be Zac Efron's the main character. And this is like his realizing the world is fucked up. It really fucking is. And, but like, he's not narrating. Why? I just, what? Why does this exist except maybe to hurt people? Like, I love me some overblown Southern Gothic melodrama. And this, like, takes that format and makes it so queasy and unpleasant and crazy. It's almost a you have to see it to believe it. But once you believe, once you've seen it, you'll be like, what the fucking wow. crap did I just <laughs> look at? Why did you do this to me, movie? I am angry at you. I can't, I'm, I'm pissed. I wish you would have told me ahead of time. I would have made, made some time to watch your least favorite movie ever. Oh, this is, I mean. How innocuous. Early favorite for worst movie of 2012. That's it. I, one I, AV, I that. the AV Club's award. It's one of the only good, people to say it's the worst the, movie of 2012. I think the people who like it uh, vaguely tend to say that's like it is so dark and disturbing and weird that like there's nothing quite like it. Mm -hmm. It's like no other movie goes as far into the unlikability. Okay, I guess. It, <laughs> yeah, but even just basic storytelling, sometimes it doesn't make sense. And sometimes the director is like breaking basic rules of filmmaking for no apparent reason. And it's just. Oh, everyone's so icky. Like, by the time we get to the sexual assault, uh, like, I don't know if I can even watch this, but, you know, I'm close enough to the end. I'm going to go for it. And then there's a showdown where someone's got an axe and they've established that there was an electric fence and they don't pay it off. Wow. That's just wrong. That's wrong. Well, 
fuck the paper boy. Fuck Lee Daniels. Fuck everyone. Holy else. shit. The paper boy. Now it's the one I want to see the most. If I'm a listener, because I had great things to say about the next film. I would love to hear from people. I would, especially with the pe- people who liked it. Like, what am I not seeing? I would love to know, but I've, willing to bet i'm gonna get a lot of people like i watched this because i heard it was weird and what the crap like, yeah exactly exactly yes okay i'm gonna calm down now so we can calm talk d- about diana, movies calm. that i did like calm Calming down calm down calm, calm down. down diana what if i told you we could talk about i think you could make the argument tim burton's best movie in the last 20 years okay <laughs> it's it's in the discussion I agree. yeah it, i think it has to be and it, it's just a very near and dear to me considering what i know and love about tim burton and and also, what I when you love Tim Burton, you love his cast, and this is like one of the best assemblages of like Tim Burton's best characters yeah. as the voice cast. Uh, we got Winona Ryder, Atticus Schaefer, Charlie uh, Tahan, but also Martin Landau, Martin Short, who, who Tim Burton may understand more than better than anyone, and fucking Catherine O'Hara. And I think the ultimate remake, he re- the remake of Tim Burton's own Frankenweenie. When Victor lost his best friend, Sparky was a great dog. He discovered a shocking solution. Sparky, I can't believe it. Your dog is alive. On October 5th, Victor brought an animal back to life. Everyone wants in. We can do better. On the adventure. (laughs) From Tim Burton. I need your help. My problem, Bigo. Yeah, he's right. Frankenweenie. I, I fucking love this movie and it's the perfect timing to revisit it. Yeah. And, and can I, I think it's ballsy to release it a week after Hotel Transylvania. I think it's ballsy to release well, it. Well, they didn't know Hotel Transylvania was going to be a success. I but can they see know their it's thinking. A, they yeah. know it's a spooky animated movie. Yeah, but we're also approaching Halloween. So when else are you going to leave? It? And they you both want to. You don't want to release your Halloween movie the week of Halloween. Right. You want to have all the buildup because you want to get people. It's like if your audience is all Halloweened out after the thirty first of October. Eh. And so and, you want to release it dude, a good bo- while bo- before then. Both movies. And I'm I'm going to save this rant till the end of the month because we're going to have a major Halloween movie in 1992 come out the week after Halloween and mm. I want to punch everyone for doing that. <laughs> anyway. And, and, oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And just, okay. But just as for what it is, both Hotel Transylvania and in this movie to a lesser extent make money, but this is like Disney's bizarro contract with Tim Burton. Like it's just interesting. We have another avatar coming out. And at this point it's like people are, contractually obligated to make 3d films it's like tim burton you have to make 3d movies for the walt disney company we don't care what they are and i don't know how he what kind of cloud he's had after alice in wonderland that he can make a black and white remake of his like student thesis film but if you love tim burton the original frankenweenie is fucking great it is a really good story so is vincent and so is my favorite part about it as an animation nerd tim burton sort of shepherded Family Dog, a series that got a video game, got a, based on an amazing stories Steven Spielberg show episode, went to series, didn't fare too well, but this Frank and Weenie now looks like Family Dog. It's like a reference yeah. to Tim Burton's like first animated property. And, and so for that alone, I was like, okay, I'm interested. You're forcing Disney to release this in black and white. It's a fucking great film. It, it just feels weird because I think we talked about Dark Shadows a little, like, was it earlier this year? Mm-hmm. Yep. It's like Dark Shadows needed more of this tone. This feels mm-hmm. way more like the Adams family than Dark Shadows did. Like just this pl- a pleasantly family-friendly macabre film where things are 
wonderfully grotesque and twisted. Looking at IMDb, yeah, you're right. This is 100% his best film of the last 10 years. I can't yeah. see a single one that is like, yeah, that beats it. Nope. Yeah. So, no, I, yeah. I'm willing to say this is his last great movie that Definitely. we've had. Big Eyes is okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's... But, yeah, uh, and of the last 20 years, it's in the competition. Yeah. Uh, besides that, you could talk about Sweeney Todd or you could talk about Sweeney Big Todd, Fish. Big Fish, Corpse Ride, contenders. Pride. But, like, Frank and Winnie, yeah. I think, has to be a contender, too, because we hadn't seen Tim Burton make a solid Tim Burton film that wasn't a Tim Burtonification of an existing story. Mm-hmm. At least this is his story and something that he helped shepherd. And I just think it's it's just this beautiful, underrated Halloween kids uh, animated film. And I hope I hope it gets relegated way more into the pantheon of annual screenings than it has been thus far, especially being yeah. owned by Disney. Yeah, I, I was walking into it. I wasn't sure what to expect. I was expecting it kind of cuter than it is because mm-hmm. it's basically just Frankenstein with kids. Frankenstein with kids in the Edward Scissorhands world. But involving yeah. the f- pet cemetery with a good ending. He just wants to bring his dog back, and yeah. then his friends all start bringing other stuff back. And um, you know, the goldfish turns invisible, and the hamster is evil, and the the little turtle becomes Gamera and starts stumping the town. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And it's so cute. It looks like the original short. It is so. on Disney Plus. Yeah. Yeah, the okay. original short. I just pulled it up. It's on it Disney was, Plus. It was hard to find for a long time, despite being released on home video, but it's like a 15-minute movie. And I know they showed it uh, on Disney Channel 25. a lot. 25. So yeah, yeah, it's it's a long short, but like I remember being captivated by it. Because it is a, just a pleasant remake of Frankenstein, the original film. This mm-hmm. goes a little further and just, just a wonderful world to be in for 90 minutes. Yeah, it is it's so interesting. 2012 is like the year of the spooky kids movie mm-hmm. between this Hotel Transylvania and Paranorman we've had in like six weeks. Well, I just, yeah, and remember my friends. I'll, I'll recommends and would be real fun to watch for Halloween. There was an audience for this. Like kids do want to see scary stuff. They like the Halloween decor. I I, I applaud it. And uh, Frank yeah. and Weenie gets left behind because it didn't turn into a giant franchise. It's defiantly black and white. But like, I think that adds yeah. to its beauty. Oh, I, if that can help get kids used to watching black and white oh, yeah. movies. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I can't think can't of another happier. modern kids black and white, white film. No, no, not even a little bit. Uh, especially uh, on an animated film. There's like no point. You can be any no. color you want it to be. Yep. But but given that you can be any color you want it to be, you do see like people when they film nerds evangelize cinematography of the black and white era, you can create the perfect looking black and white movie with this CG technology. An animator has a 3D animator has every uh, tool to do that. And I, I I'm not the right person to discuss whether Frank and Weedy is that, but I just love it. I've watched it like three times. I cannot wait to watch it again during Halloween with maybe from some of my friends' younger kids because it's totally appropriate for that. Not a lot of spooky, spooky, scary stuff despite a grotesqueness you do see in like the new Adams Family uh, cartoons that kids also <laughs> like. Do the kids get to see this, JR? Any? No, no, couldn't get them to watch it. I watched it. I, I didn't love it as much as you. Sure. I don't know why. It didn't really pull me in. I had a little trouble with the characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of them were that engaging to me. Hmm. I, I, I know exactly what you're saying. It's just that, like, this is clearly kind of an animated film for adults to take their kids to because everything is kind of a reference to old stuff you may not be able to show your kids. The main yeah. character looks like Edward Scissorhands slash Corpse Bride Johnny Depp. 
as a young kid look almost exactly like him. <laughs> and the spooky old science teacher is, of course, Vincent Price, who Tim Burton has had a love affair. Uh, Made a great, great movie about mm -hmm. Vincent. It's awesome. So, the, so I see what you're saying because you don't hear me talking a lot about the story. It's really more no. about like. Tim Burton finally once again made a movie for me because he always used to make movies for mm -hmm. me. And and, yep. and and that's why. So if you're like me, I don't know, because it's a super short story. It's like 80 minutes of 80 minute movie here. It's wonderfully pleasant. A great throwback. Wears its references on its sleeves. You will dig it. Kids, I guess I can't speak to now. Usually we have JR to do that. But, but if they weren't interested, they weren't interested, you know? Yeah. I'll be I'll see if I could try it out this year. Let me see. Let me see if I can do that. Uh, I've stayed away from my friends' young kids during the COVID era. It's I have to be that weird uncle character who appears every three years, goddammit, despite <laughs> living down the road. But yeah, Frank and Weenie, huge recommend. I saw me so too. many people like, oh, Tim Burton's back. It's a Tim Burton we love. Yeah, not for long. <laughs> yes. Just this. I, I think he'll, he'll do something again like this, but he looking where he's being offered money, it's to franchises yeah. and Disney. and. Yeah. Speaking of franchises, I think one mm -hmm. I wouldn't have put yeah. my money on and am, am wonderfully surprised uh, that turned into one. Freddie Stroma, Brittany Snow, uh, Alexis Knapp, Adam Devine, Rebel Wilson, Anna Kemp, and Anna Kendrick in Pitch Perfect. We need eight perfect singers if we want to be champions. They're looking for perfect. I saw the sign. What they got were these girls. The smell of your weird is affecting my vocal cords. These songs are tired. Let's remix this business. It ain't about the money. I have a feeling we should kiss. I sometimes have a feeling I can do crystal meth, but then I think, mm, better not. Pitch Perfect. Pitch Select perfect. theater starts September. Oh, yes, and, and Elizabeth Banks, who would eventually go on to steward the series in a directorial mm. I won't pretend it's one of my favorites, but my it's one of those movies my sister loves. And it's, yeah, you, you can put this on. This is fun. It, it rises just above formulaic. It's funny all the way through. Yeah, and yeah. I, I mean, it, it's formulaic story-wise, but mm -hmm. it fleshes out character stuff within the formula mm -hmm. to make it pretty fun. It, it's just got a lot of fun characters in it. It's about it, something that it, is like so low stakes. Again, it's like, it's an acapella <laughs> contest. Gotta make it a regional. No, no, it's a sci-fi uh, film because they're in a universe where acapella is the most important thing in the world and they can uh -huh. fill these giant stages with it and everyone is super invested on the college campus on how their acapella group yeah, is just doing. the lighting guys alone in some of these songs like wow these guys really trained with along with the singers to make some great lighting yeah no i know acapella actually is like a pretty big thing especially in the ivy league like yes. It I really, enjoy acapella. It, it really, really is. And I generally but enjoy it. I got made it. fun of it for not even doing it, just for enjoying it in college. Ah, that's no fair. Yeah, I, I generally enjoy acapella stuff. And it does, I do find it really weird to find out, like, this is like serious fucking shit. You know, at, at the most elite colleges in the world, they really, they recruit for the whiffing poofs and shit. <laughs> and also, like, obviously, we're still in, Glee is huge on TV. So mm -hmm. we're going to capitalize on that. And they make some smart choices. Anna Kendrick is always, you know, she's she's a solid lead. She's one of those people that just feels like she's relatable no matter what she's up to. Mm -hmm. I guess Elizabeth Banks, she produced this. And so she was the one who's like, no, we got to put the, that girl, the one from Up in the Air. Let's put her in this movie. Mm -hmm. And these movies have done really well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like so this one, it does pretty solid. The second one grossed almost $300 million. Wow. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Now, I don't think all... 
three films in the Pitch Perfect trilogy are actually good films. Now, every film in the original Lord of the Rings trilogy is a good film. Sure. Is there a single comedy trilogy where every film is good? Um. Yes. Ooh. Fuck. I had one. I had one. God damn it. Oh, what was it? <laughs> not meatballs. Um, I mean, it's, get back to me. It's, it's not. Hard. I, it's I, I think hard. Austin Powers, but Diana disagrees with me. I think Austin no, Powers. I, I, I wouldn't yeah. give you Austin Powers. God Don't damn. Yeah. Oh. Uh-uh. That that is a good question for our audience. So we're yeah. not just sitting here going um for uh. ten minutes while I think of something because yeah, it's tough. I'm trying to think of like okay, big money making comedies that at least had a sequel. Most of them, no, the sequel's just the same thing. That but third Fletch returns. is really good. Just saying. No I have heard the new it. Fletch is no fantastic. I really want to see really it. Good. That's a reboot. That I doesn't know, quite I, count. Well, yeah. it's, not, it's not a reboot of the story. It's a different oh. story in the Fletch universe based okay. on the books. Hey, maybe. I have to see it. I want to see it. I love John Hamm. Yes. Oh, yeah. He's amazing. Uh, in this. Man, yeah. There, I guess because comedies yeah. don't make a lot of trilogies. That third Hangover movie, pretty good. Second movie, not right. so much. Uh, fucking awful. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah, Pitch Perfect. I, and I liked it. I mean, this is obviously targeted mostly towards women. Mm-hmm. I love that it showed up for it. Uh, I never felt like my intelligence was being insulted. It had some pleasant surprises. I laughed. I enjoyed the performances. Yeah, uh, I the was kind jokes of ex- are funny. Is the big thing, yeah. you know? That's yeah, what I was hilarious. Down to, and it's a hilarious film. You know, me and my wife both really enjoyed it. Thought it was funny. Big recommend. Yeah, yeah. I, I was expecting it to be okay, and I was like, oh, pleasantly. It, it's surprised. pleasant, and 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 for lack of a better comparison, like the Step Up movies. I don't know if mm-hmm. they're all great, but considering your the theater person in my sister is kind of in it for these performances, not necessarily the story. You can keep making these forever if you wanted to. And the only thing I weirdly, there's a Peacock series coming, but Adam Devine is the only one reprising his role, huh. his role in the film. So I don't know how that's going to take. You see, actually, that's not a bad comparison. What I was expecting was something like a step up movie where it's like the plot is kind of who cares. Sure. It's just an excuse for the performances, except here the plot was good. And the jokes were good, yes. and the characters. And the were characters fun. are important, and but but I still think you could you could keep making them because when you go if you do karaoke with people who are in like my sister's theater community, they will belt out the these versions and do moves from <laughs> these song uh, these specific renditions from Pitch Perfect. But it's just nice to in this time of like IP based franchises, up up pops this women centric one about music, and I just kind of yeah cool cool yeah. it's not always for me usually never for me but I, i'm glad people people who like this kind of stuff have this kind of movie series and i hope it keeps going yeah. conversely a movie series i wish i was on board from the beginning because i not to elongate our conversations but 2012 is the rise of the franchise i'm going to see like every marvel dc comic adaptation i'm not seeing a lot of other movies in theaters such as the case with the taken films and i wasn't there in the beginning to see how good they were or weren't and so same with me i was not yeah. on board taken but i watched taken one and taken two this yes week. okay and i'm a fan it what? drew me in. It's... I like the action. I, I knew what I was getting. You know, it's 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 the evolution of the 80s action movie. It's a lot yes. more advanced than they are, but it's still off of the same tree. Well, I'm, you can I'm... definitely see it. It's like if it had 
continue to grow instead of just kind of sputtering out in the late 90s. And that's, I could see it developing into this type of film, I, and I liked it. I credit that all to Luc Besson, who wanted to take like what would normally be a B-movie premise for an aging movie star. Why don't we just make a cheap, very well, great-looking action film with elaborate sequences? If you don't know what we're talking about, number one at the box office this week, uh, Luke Grimes, Raid, Sherbigdi, Sherbigdi, Bedgia, uh-huh. Maggie Grace, Fomke Jensen, Liam Neeson, of course. And Taken 2. Why didn't you and Kim come to Istanbul? Could be fun. <laughs> He's here. You kill no sons. We will have our revenge. They have taken the mother. What are you going to do? What I do best. People are going to come for you, too. I'm just mad that every time I say Taken 2, I want to say Electric Boogaloo. Me too. Taken to where? Because there's a cynical version of me like, remember when Die Hard 2 came out and a lot of like armchair critics and late night monologues like, how can the same guy get in the same situation again? But this actually had a natural thing. Makes more sense. The people he killed want revenge on him. It's It's the plot of Die Hard with a vengeance. It's you killed my son. Family I kind of want to kill you now and make you suffer. Yeah. You know, it's it is very much the same thing happening to the same guy twice, but it's in Istanbul. It's a gorgeous city to have stuff happen yes. to it. It's you know, there's some leaps of action logic, like his daughter <laughs> throws five grenades without ever getting caught and she's not like a trained cia person she's just throwing grenades on random roofs to help her father locate her by sound and she gets away with it i mean i don't know about you guys but if i heard like no, legit no, no. grenades going off i might call the this, police this is hey, what you un- I gotta understand jr only good guys can hear grenades Oh, so okay. there's no way the bad no. guys would have been alerted to where she was. See, that was the one chunk of the movie that I really liked that I almost wanted, like, could the rest of the, could, could like this whole movie be this, that, that he gets captured decently early on and it's about him communicating with people on the outside to do different stuff to come rescue them. So it's like, he's not just running around punching people all the time in creative ways that it's, it's about the actual set of skills that he's as opposed to just narrating. The yeah, just assume I'm a superhero instead of explaining. Like, yeah, that stuff was pretty neat. The idea of like, yeah, set off a grenade and I'll figure out which direction I can hear it from. And, and that'll tell you where I am. Okay. I just happen to have grenades. So, well, <laughs> yeah. In this movie, once bad. again, once again, a super low cost action film, 45 million that makes $350 million domestically, which is something Liam Neeson never really did before this in terms of his box office. He's in a lot of historical periods. He sure knows how to get my mom going and into a theater day one. But like, it's just odd to see Liam Neeson during this, you know, it's got to be a hard period for him. He's aging, loses his wife and ends up becoming this late stage movie star. So weird. So weird. But, and here's where my bad take is, and I deserve to get dragged for this, but I'm just saying, I gave you the context. I wasn't there in the beginning to fall in love with the series. I think during the, if you remember, if you were listening to Laser Time, which Diana was on about the greatest movies of the decade, I really made a pitch for like a John Wick trilogy being in the discussion. Mm -hmm. The John Wick movies have kind of removed the need for me to, there's a lot of talking in between all this stuff and Liam Neeson can't do what the other stunt workers do in the John Wick movies. What I felt like I was going to see was on a John Wick level, and it's just kind of like, 
you know, this is a, you know, this is a couple oh, of years no. before that. Are there plotting characters for you, Chris? Is it scaring you? <laughs> I'm telling what I was there to be on board for in the action is served better in the John Wick trilogy. And it's all the same kind of actor revenge and recovery against the same kind of people, the same kind of gangsters. I think I'm better served by that series than I am by the Taken series at wait, this point. Wait a second. In John Wick, are they established that all the bad guys are Albanians, comma, the worst people that ever lived? <laughs> I don't know. Yes. <laughs> Man, uh, these movies hate Albanians. Yes. Uh, taken, taken 2. I'm not sure if there's... Uh... I'd recommend it. Yeah? Yeah. I think I'd give it a light recommend. Yeah, I mean, a bunch of people did. Even Roger Ebert loves it. Like, it's it's much beloved. It's just like, you know what? I'm going to be honest here. Let's just, behind the scenes, my AC is out. I have to watch this on the back porch on an iPad. Maybe I would have been better served in my normal theatrical experience. So anyway. Yeah, I'm, it's I, not an iPad film. I don't mean a shit on Taken 2. I really don't. But uh, Yeah, it'd be hard to tell what's going on because there's a lot of darkness. Yes, the, yeah, yes, it was. <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah. My battery yeah, kept running it, out because of how bright I had to make it. Yeah, it's just like, uh, let's just watch a fun action movie. Yeah, I, I was expecting to be like, no, Taken 1 is fine. And then it's diminishing returns. And yeah, it is diminishing returns, mm-hmm. but not as bad as I was expecting. Like, and seeing it's got a Rotten Tomato, like 22%. I'm like, nah. that's really nah, unnecessary. Would, even my experience no, wasn't there. No, nah, I put it in the 50s, low 60s. Okay. Yeah, well, just fun action. Moving on to a different 302010 panelist members, Hate Watch Television which Taken would eventually become. <laughs> I did not see that show. But 2012 television, 10 years ago, September 30th through October 6th. JR, tell us about Dexter season seven because I ducked the fuck out on season oh, five. Like, I was bad. out. I was so out oh, by then. You were so lucky. Bad. Dexter season seven and season eight is the hate watch of JR 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. It is just JR doing this grim death march. I've been in this from the beginning by God, I'm going to see how this ends. And I have never done that since then because of what a horrible experience Dexter seven and eight were. Okay. So I'll tell, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what drove me out and see it. Tell me if it gets worse. One, the show excels in the first two seasons when it has kind of book basis to go back on. It has a great character in Dokes. And then it sort of doesn't. And I've always chastised it for this in the first two seasons. It's like, he's, talking to his father and or victims as like a metaphor for how he's feeling. And then as the two seasons roll on, like dude's just talking to ghosts. He is, we're literally watching exposition being delivered to us by ghosts because the showrunners don't see, seem to get what the books were saying. And then two, and I think it was one of my favorite Paul F. Tompkins tweets. It's like characters on Dexter who aren't Dexter, not that interested in you. And the show <laughs> really does it focuses way too much on characters who are not Dexter and who do not have a, near a similar level of problem yeah cannot yeah, so stand. i think originally that was on purpose because we were supposed to be seeing the world through dexter's eyes mm-hmm. we were supposed to be seeing it through a man who doesn't really care about others problems mm-hmm. and that's why when we're hearing about them yeah. he's kind of and the show focused. forgets that too and the show forgets that absolutely mm-hmm. you are right it goes off a bit of a deep la la land so you remember dexter's sister Oh, God, Mm -hmm. yes. And I read the stories about She falls in love with Dexter, like romantic love. Which they did behind the scenes in a thing that's not a great story. Right. Yeah, and it is. He is adopted. Mm -hmm. He is adopted, but I'm still not down. Doesn't matter to me. Doesn't matter to me. Um, So was soon. And it it, it comes out of nowhere. There's no real reason to it because this season is about his sister 
learning that he's a serial killer mm -hmm. and trying to cure him of his serial killing nature <laughs> via like curing someone of drug addiction. Mm -hmm. And it, it, if you just and... don't kill for 24 hours, it gets easier and easier. <laughs> That's not far from it. That yeah, is one, not one far. day at a time. Yeah. Do one day at a time. Um, Here's your not, AA chip. <laughs> I'm not going to cover the ending of this season, but I'll just say it ends with Deborah killing LaGuerta, the chief of police. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. now, and she does that solely so that Dexter can remain free and continue his serial killing. And it's just stupid and dumb. This is. <laughs> This is bad TV, and I'll, I'll save my full-on screed of hatred for season eight. But people don't hate watch life. There's no life time anymore, Jim. I've learned my lesson ten years ago, nine years ago. I'm never hate watching anything again. There's no time. You don't need to. There's you no do not. I, I did it with, and it's not as hatey as I'm making it sound. But it's you know, a couple of those last seasons are lost. A couple of let's say scant episodes were thorough hate watches, but I've been, I've done this. I'm doing it to the end. God damn it. It was all over the message boards for the first three seasons caring so much, but yeah, who has the fucking time? There are great shows on Netflix who get four seasons. And I just forget. Cause that, that, that pressure of like, well, there's 12 new episodes of this thing you liked a year ago. Oh God, such pressure. Anyway, moving on to, uh, 666 Park Avenue <laughs> debuting on AB Sizzle. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is based upon the book. Weird stuff happens. They're in an apartment. Weird dreams and weirdness all around. Hey, and it was canceled after a few episodes. Oh, uh, not even Terry yeah. O'Quinn could save it. Real building still owned by Jared Kushner's family. Maybe. I'm trying to look it up. Man. There is a real 666 Fifth Avenue, or there's a 666 Fifth Avenue, and mm. it's been renumbered to 660 finally. Oh, Jesus. I think uh, Kushner's family was involved in that. Fuck those guys. Anyway, anyway moving on. Cartoon Network is celebrating its 20th anniversary, and I encourage you to check out check out the 10th and 20th anniversary videos. They The last thing I want to say about Cartoon Network in general, because I think this may have had to do maybe more with a lack of inventory, but also this wonderful creative expression that turned into stuff like Space Ghost and, and Aqua Teen. The bumpers, the things, the original things Cartoon Network would make in between the shows. Did you ever see like the Blair Witch Scooby-Doo episode? Like, it's yes. so cool. Yeah. Oh, it's so, so good. Uh, it's so cool. They would make the coolest promos on Cartoon Network. And so when they get behind doing something, you're just watching like Finn and Chowder and Wiley Coyote riding on the same thing because they're all part of the same Cartoon Network family. It's really cool. Really cool. And uh, and, and then we also have R.I.P. Um, soon to be R.I.P. 30 Rock, the final season premiere, the beginning of the end. Yeah, This is the last season of 30 Rock. Yeah. And God damn, is this still such a fantastic yep. lineup. Uh, we'll get to the next show, which is also in its final season. But... Holy cow. 30 Rock is ending on an incredibly high note. They yep. are Not a bad uh, going out guns blazing. In this episode, Liz learns that Jack is intentionally creating bad episodes <laughs> of TV shows so that the network will tank and it will be sold to someone he, who he wants to work with. And this is one of those shows he's creating. Odd cop, crime just got a new worst friend. <laughs> what the hell is that? A show I am very excited about. A New York City detective solves crimes with the help of his new partner, God. So God just tells him who did it? God can't just tell him who did it. Why not? Watch the pilot lemon. It's all explained in the end by the wise black man played by Carl Malone. You really 
Some... Also, it's, it's good a... job, Alec Baldwin, fitting into all three sections of the show this week. Yay! Hey, that a boy, wow. Alec Baldwin. Holy wow. shit! Three right. coast to coast champion, uh, Alec Baldwin. Um, uh, if he weren't setting up the lemon party line, we wouldn't have made it, but he did. Uh, but other <laughs> other great side stories in this episode is Jenna is having her wedding, and she decides that it's going to be a surprise wedding, meaning it's going to happen at any moment, and everyone has to always be ready for her wedding because she's not <laughs> going to tell anyone. And side note, side note, friends, this always reminds me, and I, I know it's boring at this point, we binged 30 Rock during the pandemic after I paid for ad-free Hulu because I was very sick of the same ads, blah, blah, blah. Because of our binge watch of 30 Rock, I got a peacock burned in the corner of my television. My TV <laughs> is still under warranty. The warranty does not cover burning. I need, in a very 2022 heist plot, somebody to tell me how I can intentionally break my television in a way that is covered by the warranty and have them fix it. I, there's, this is like the most low stakes heist. It is. It is low stakes as fuck, but I, I swear I, I mildly, and I'm like, I'm not soldering anything. I, I'm, I, I want to commit fraud, but in a way that looks like an accident. <laughs> Help me out. People. Help me out. And also moving on, moving on to more at the time, I think we're still calling it must see TV. The office, the office, the episode, Andy's ancestry. Yeah, this is when Andy Bernard learns that he may be related to Michelle Obama. Andy is, of course, a white man, and he thinks nothing about how he may have been related to her. Oh. <laughs> and and oh, the, yes. other, the other people start telling him, you know, that probably means you were slave owners and you had sex. Your ancestors had sex oh, with boy. their slaves. And he's like, no, that's not true. And then he researches it and he tries to find dirt on everyone else's ancestors. And uh, it ends with him going, well, it turns out we were not slave owners. We were slave traders. traders. So that yes. makes it better, right? Yeah. <laughs> Proud legacy of the Bernards. But it also has uh, one of the most famous openings yes. in office history. With a person who was not yet fame, like super famous himself. No. Jim's at the dentist this morning, and Steve is an actor friend of ours. Who am I? I'm Jim. We've been working together for 12 years. We're Jug Dwight. You're not Jim. Jim's not Asian. You seriously never noticed? Hey, hats off to you for not seeing race. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now, the most hilarious thing about this is that the actor who plays Asian Jim in yes. this episode... Randall Park. Uh, Randall Park. ...was oh, brought Randall in. Park. It was just a one-hour thing. He went in, he filmed it, it was not a big deal, one hour gig, and he left, and he completely forgot about it. He didn't remember that he was on The Office, and then a while later, what? he's on the street, and someone yells at him, hey, yo, Asian Jim! He's like, no. No. what type of racial slur is that? No. And then it happens again. No, <laughs> it's some alternate out. dimension Huck Finn character. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, poor, poor Randall Park. But you know what? He's a member of the MCU, and uh, no one else on the office can say that. Shut up, John Krasinski. <laughs> okay. Yeah, this was such a. This was the last point. This was the last year in yeah. which I was genuinely excited for sitcoms, network television sitcoms. You've got Thirty yeah. Work Rock. You've got The Office. You've got Parks and Rec. In a little bit, we're going to have Community back. So you have. Four really solid classic sitcoms that are all on. And in like not that long, I will watch 
zero. Right. I, I remember being the, the younger employees at the company I was working at the time. I was waiting to like stream all the office season, you know, the season when it's over. They were coming in every day and quoting it in a way that I I just don't think I'm ever going to see again. I remember being annoyed by it just because like, I like the office too, but <laughs> shut up. Uh, but, but like, yeah, I'll never see that again. I'll never see a group of people instantly overnight quoting a thing because it's popular on broadcast television. Huh. <laughs> anyway, moving on to video games of 2012. Because there is a big a biggie here. Did we talk about War of the Roses on Windows last week? We might have. Um, no, I don't think we did. Okay. Uh, maybe we talked about it off mic. War of the Roses on Windows. What was that about? You have a customized soldier fighting either for the House of Lan- Lancaster or the House of York. <laughs> I was about I, to say, I, it's I real world Game of Thrones. <laughs> I did almost <laughs> mess that up. Uh, but yeah, yeah, this is, you know, a medieval game, not magic, not fantasy. You are actually fighting the War of the Roses. And uh, you also had kind of a rare misfire for Nintendo first party, Art Academy, the first Art Academy lessons for everyone. The- yeah, they, they were trying to make this a thing. I could definitely see why, you know, the 3DS was for children mainly and having kids play with art things. As we mentioned a little bit with Mario Paint, it's a long tradition. Didn't take off. I think the iPad is a huge part of that. Yes. If you have a kid who's really wanting to do art stuff, the iPad is the in, far superior medium for in, that. In, in Japan, it was a little easier for the 3DS to grab, not like a significant market share, but like do more do more as people's PD, pocket PDA. Mm-hmm. People did use it more in Japan as like a digital assistant. or And that's where this game makes, well, what a no-brainer. McDonald's made a game to train McDonald's employees for the 3DS, so like uh, in, in Japan, it makes sense. But for Americans, no. It, yeah, we are, we already have iPhones. This isn't going to take hold in the same way. And then and then lastly, a massive release: Resident Evil Six on PS360. I don't know how much I want to talk about that. Being, I, I, they're still evil. They're still residents. I, I was talking with it was uh, you. You're the evil resident all along. <laughs> no, I, well, I have a. I was working in a weird area. Uh, and then by the end of the year, I was working for the company that made... I'm, I am working for the company that made this game. But I had a little more involvement behind the scenes before I was there. I've never pretended to be the res- biggest Resident Evil fan, and I will not. This is my least favorite one. It seems to lack a coherent idea. Instead, tries to do every fan-pleasing idea and throw a... What character do we focus on in this Resident Evil game? Why don't we focus on seven of them? Fan favorites, create new ones, sons of this and that. And it, this series just became, became so bloated, convoluted, and meaningless on a conflict scale. I love what happened to seven, and then I love what happened to eight, where they just take it down or not to be about one person experiencing something that might be happening globally rather than this thing that's trying to tackle a global pandemic. You can play it now and won't get any COVID vibes seriously. Is that non-serious? Yeah, don't like it. I think it, it, uh, for the mainline series, it, critically, it performed the worst, I believe. Sold well, critically performed the worst. Resident Evil 6, odd logo. So before we go out, and we're going to tell you who uh, lived and who died during this period of 30, 2010, I cannot believe I lost last week. And looking ahead, 
it might relate to someone who died this week. We're going to do a little quiz on who, who was born this week, but we got to tell you, uh, please, if you can, uh, encourage you to donate anything you can to the Patreon, LazerTime Patreon, patreon.com slash LazerTime. We get a bunch of exclusive shows, including a, a series uh, we got more episodes of, 80s in depth, including one for Spooptober, which is coming up soon to talk about something classic cornery in 302010 a duo of horror films you absolutely need to see or listen to us talk about. And of course, The Last Unicorn we've discussed in depth. Oh, and Video Game Apocalypse this week. We had a topic that will probably do some other time that might be too insensitive now, <laughs> but given current events and the nature of Storm. But uh, mm. I don't know exactly what we're talking about this week, but expect us to talk about new games, uh, some news, and wonderful magazine-style feature with uh, our buddy from 80s in Depth, uh, Steve Guntling. What's, I remember the name of his podcast, Ultra 64 hey. Podcast, duh. Ultra 64. And then, Diana, where can people find you at? They can find me on the Twitter at LeCineNerd, C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010Podcast. That's 302010 Podcast coming up next week. We got a lot again. Mm. Have you ever wanted to see Kevin James oh, get punched in the face professionally? Yes. Oh, what a terrible title. That. I actually like that title. But oh. besides that, Ben Affleck's going to tell us to Argo fuck ourselves. And the indie movie revolution really kicks off with a little boy who worked at a video store that no one liked named Quentin Tarantino. Why do I got to be Mr. Pink? And we're going to learn that the answer is moops. 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 The answer moops. is moops. We are also going to talk about what at the time was considered the most scandalous arcade game of all time. Ooh. Ooh. Ooh I think I know what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Escandalo. Escandalo. Mm -hmm. Escandalo. Mm -hmm. Look forward to all that and more. Uh, and JR, where can people find oh, you? Oh, in? sorry. One more thing. Mm -hmm. Next week, we are going to be talking about the start of the largest live-action television superhero universe of all time. Wow, are you kidding? That's 10 years old now. Yeah. Holy I'm shit. I'm confused. I'm not you sure You should be, is. Diane. It's on a channel I bet you never watch. Okay. Uh, myself included. But uh, it's what I've always wanted, and I never paid attention, a lick of attention. Yeah, and yeah, uh, I same. Yeah. JR, where can people find you at? Did you say that already? They can find me on the Twitter at J-R-R-A-L-L-S. And uh, 80s in Death, which JR is spearheaded and just really had a, I've had a great time doing that with you guys. It's great. I'm loving it. Uh, the 80s, there's so much to explore in that decade mm -hmm. and I'm really enjoying getting in depth, if you will. Mm-hmm. And all right, but Diana, who died during this period of 302010? Man, this sucks. We we lost a lot of people way too soon to stupid illnesses that suck. Mm. In 1992, we lost Eddie Kendricks, who's only 52. He was, I, I guess you would call him the lead singer of The Temptations for oh. the most of their famous stuff. He was amazing was just it? my imagination is one of my favorite songs of all time and it's his falsetto that just kills me ah so he's not audrey too no he's not Audrey too. <laughs> he was in the tops anyway <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we also lost denholm elliott who was 70 Great most name. people probably know him as marcus brody from the indiana jones films mm. looking into him his dad was an official in the british mandate of palestine who was assassinated and then denholm elliott 
was in a fighter plane in World War II, or I think a bomber, that was shot down and he was only one of three survivors. And then he went into a POW camp for the rest of the war. Jeez. Yeah, Marcus Brody was a fucking badass. He was one of those, like, British, hey, it's that guys, where if he pops up in a movie in the 60s, it's about to get cool. Yeah, I, I, and, uh, I was exploring yeah, some, horror, some horror films, and I remember, I forget what the fucking movie, it was an anthology film, and the main stars are, like, Peter Cushing, <laughs> him, and it's like, if it wasn't for George Lucas, I don't know that I'd know these pe- how great these people were. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah, unfortunately, Denim Elliott uh, was bisexual, and he died from complications of AIDS. Yeah, he he was a loss. Like I said, anytime he'd pop up, he would be a, hey, it's that guy. He's around for like three scenes. He murders and then he disappears. And what year was that? 92. Wow. 92. Yeah. And then in 2002, just after his daughter's birthday that we talked about last week, we lost Bruce Paltrow, who's only 58. Fuck you, cancer. Mm. Same with Eddie Kendricks. Fuck you, cancer. He was a uh, producer and director. How much longer are we going to let this cancer have its way with our friends? That's some bull shit but with them deaths out of the way we have what jr the birthday quiz oh birthday is a doodly do a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong do born october 3rd 1973 in guelph ontario where she was raised is it guelph g-u-e-l-p-h it is indeed. I do not know how to. Uh, we only these know that because that's where Tyler Canadian was from. places. Yeah, that's literally why I know how to say Guelph. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's where my roommate was from, former Lazy uh, Time host. She descended from Sephardic Jews who emigrated to the Netherlands but converted to Catholicism. Uh, at the age of 17, she survived a bear attack <laughs> while filming a project. I dip my hands in honey and I run to this rock and I turn around and I put my hand out and the bear is not slowing down and he's not coming for my hand. He grabs me by my leg and he pulls me through the forest. My mother was visiting the set and she's screaming. The whole crew is frozen because nobody can believe what's happening. All I can think to say is he's biting me like it's not obvious. Uh, She survived without permanent life-threatening injury. I can only think of what the movie was, but I don't remember the person. I'm not going to say it because Diana might get it. She had a role in the Canadian drama series Catwalk and then the television film The Canterville Ghost in 1996. No fair. That's too Diana. Too much Diana chum. She was then cast to play Julia Salinger in the Fox TV drama Party of Five. Jennifer Love Hewitt. Say again. Ev Campbell. Ah! In your face. face. And then he was in The Craft. And then I was going to say Scream. Scream. Wild Thing. Scream 2. Scream 3. When Will I Be Loved. Relative Strangers. And then House of Cards, and then Lincoln Lawyers. So wow, I forgot she was in a bunch of those actually. And yeah. in an early she episode of Kids in the Hall. By a bear. I'm yeah. sorry, yeah. Campbell was yeah. once eaten by a bear. My oh favorite my thing is, is that Nev isn't short for anything. Huh. Just Nev. Cool name. I, I love that she had honey on her hand, like she's Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, honey. Oh. Oh, bother. I'm just going to rip your arm off. (laughs) All right. So I have a choice for you guys for what to go out with. Because Mm, in this episode, we talked about two people that we're basically never going to get to talk about again. Eddie Kendricks, who died, and Sinead O'Connor, whose career was being ripped apart because people didn't know what she was protesting. So do we want to listen to Success, which is a Loretta Lynn song that Sinead O'Connor sang in her first musical chunk on SNL? Or do we want to hear Eddie Kendricks' solo career keep on trucking? Uh, from the 70s, which is rad. 
I keep on trucking. Keep on trucking. Yeah. I, Something that people uh, might be able to tap their toe to. Yeah. And it's a good message. We need to keep on trucking. Right. And wear a mask if you're in a crowd, goddammit. And with that, we'll bid adieu to another episode of 302010, a big old one again. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Tell a friend about the show. Uh, consider donating five bucks or more or less at patreon.com slash laser time. We'll give you extra stuff over 100 movie commentaries, blah, blah, blah. Listen to Video Game Apocalypse, Laser Time. Ah, uh, we love you. We'll see you next week. Oh,